everybody, Nerdslayer here. This is the Six Pixels Under podcast, and this is episode nine. Now, this week, of course, we will be talking about all of the things uh, BlizzCon, uh, Diablo Immortal, uh, WoW Classic, as well as uh, the Warcraft 3 expansion, or uh, sorry, remaster, I guess you could call it. Um, it looks like a remake almost, some people were saying, but I, I think it's more of a remaster. Anyway, lots to talk about with BlizzCon. Also wanted to talk about, well, that's a really untimely uh, donation. Thank you for the bit donation, <laughs> right as I'm like doing the intro. This week on the podcast, we have uh, none other than The Lazy Peon. Of course, if you don't already know his content, you can go look it up on YouTube. Um, I'm surprised if you don't know his content at this point. I feel like... The Lazy Peon is the de facto uh, first impressions YouTuber, especially in the MMO space. So, you know, first, everyone, please thank and welcome uh, the Lazy Peon to the show. I appreciate it. Thanks. No problem. And for those who, again, haven't seen the content, generally, he does uh, first impressions videos where he uh, streams them live. As, as far as I could tell, you stream them live, right? Oh, no, I actually record them. Okay, so you record them like as a live thing or do you just kind of go back and edit in the part yeah like i do like live live recordings of me um playing but it's not like streamed okay. to twitch or anything okay that makes sense because i yeah i always wondered it's like it always seemed like you were <laughs> streaming at the time but then i i look at your channel and i never see you streaming um which is a, yeah, i feel I'm like another question i can quite. ask you later yeah i'll, I'll ask you that one later <laughs> um <laughs> well first yeah i want to say um thanks for being on of course um and then for people who don't know, I actually met uh, the Lazy Peon in person when I went to uh, California to test out uh, New World. So I met and talked with him a little bit there and told him even back then that I was making a podcast and I'd like to have him on sometime. And he, and he said that he was interested. So I, of course, I had to take him up on that offer. And yeah, man, if hey, only we could thanks. talk about New World on this podcast. <laughs> I'm good at shooting people, cracking walls, and pretending to know dude. how to fight with my hands. Yeah, the, the NDAs, man, speaking of NDAs, that reminds me of, like, back, and I know you've went through this yourself, but back in the day, it was like, every, every MMO that was coming out had an NDA, and so it became, it came to the point to where, like, leak websites were quite prevalent. I don't know about you, but I, I knew of leak websites where it was just like leaked gameplay from like a bunch of different MMOs. And that was like the cool thing to do back then was to get into an MMO closed beta or an alpha and just like record it for everybody. But you don't see it that, that much these days because of all of the early access launches probably. Yeah. Um, which is, uh, you know, which are essentially beta games, I guess you could say, or like an open beta. Cause you know, like open beta and MMOs has always been like an advertisement thing. It's never really been like, we're really trying to test something in open beta. Open beta is like, it's it's like the best way to advertise is what Richard Garriott uh, told me once. He's like, yeah, open beta is how you sell the game. <laughs> yeah, some people still don't quite understand that. I mean, I made a video on Fallout 76 the other day. Got two weeks until it comes out and it's an absolute mess. Yeah, people in the chat defending it in the comments of the video. Oh, it's just beta. Oh man, Sp yeah. Speaking of that, um, I'll go ahead and start our first topic for the week. Um, 
or I guess I should say for the podcast, but also for the week, because I do these kind of weekly roundups of information. I want to play this one clip for everybody, which I feel like basically sums up the entirety of the uh, <laughs> the BlizzCon oh, Diablo Immortal funness. And so let me show that one on screen really quickly. If you haven't already seen this one, sorry, I'm, where the heck is my... Okay, there it is. I need a stream deck so I can find this. All right, for people yeah. watching the stream... Is there any plans to make this playable on PC, or is this strictly mobile? <laughs> I'm uh, showing them the video uh, where he yeah, asked them if they're going to play it on PC, or put it on PC. On mobile, both, uh, that fucking response, though. IOS. Uh, we don't have any plans <clears throat> at the moment to do uh, PC. First, I, I'll say I feel kind of bad for this guy. Oh, there's all the booze. Did you guys not have phones? Dude, it was so hard to watch that Q&A, man. <laughs> I was watching it with with my hands on my face, just feeling so bad for that. Um, was it Wyang guy? Right, man. It was it was difficult. But I then, but then they said, "Don't you all have phones?" And then I felt a little <laughs> bit less bad. I felt bad because, and I made this tweet live. I'm so tired of them taking game developers and putting them in these presentations and just expecting them to do well. I mean, it's like. It's it's as if like you took us and then just threw us into a, I don't know, whatever game development and said, all right, get right in there and get involved. It's like we could probably do something, but it's it's not necessarily where we spend the majority of our time or work at, right? Like I mean, we're generally yeah. going to handle the actual product itself in in a fish in a finished state. I feel bad for them in a way, in, in the same way that maybe you do. Where I saw I saw this guy get up there, and I know he's not like a presentator. He's not. Uh, content creator per se he's not a guy who's used to maybe getting booed at or maybe even getting uh lukewarm to no response and so when he first got up there on the stage it was just so tone deaf like <laughs> i felt so bad because he just gets up there and he's like hey everybody <sighs> like he just seemed like he had that nature about him like he was about to just let out one big like sigh of relief like Right. Well, by the end of it, he looked like a broken man, didn't he? I think he did. at BlizzCon, the, on, the only person that done a great job of the presenting was Jeff Kaplan. He seemed really comfortable on stage. And I think that's because with his, within his audience of Overwatch, he does those all the time. Like He, he, he yeah. does a lot of those talks, and he's very transparent. Something I think people liked about uh, <laughs> Ben Brode as well. And, and, and maybe there's a couple key guys that are missing at Blizzard. That kind of definitely was felt. I felt like at BlizzCon, you could tell that there wasn't um, the same kind of flavor maybe there. Like, I mean, obviously, everyone likes to post that Ben Brode, like, laugh, like the Hearthstone memes. Um, it, it's yeah. it's funny to, to laugh at, but it's also just, like, kind of sad to think that Blizzard is at a point where they're starting to lose a lot of their um, original key talent. And, and And I feel like it's because right now... They're at that transition phase. Are they going to fully become Activision? <laughs> or are they going to stay Blizzard to some extent? That's, that's was, what I've been um, thinking. It was definitely more present that the Activision and Bungie influence at this BlizzCon than any other one, I think. It was really strange how like they had someone talk about how... Um, <clears throat> was it Destiny 2 is now free? And I think they had few advertisements for black ops 4 as well and it's like dude it's blizzcon people don't give a fuck about activision products right exactly 
<laughs> exactly. And not I just that, that, but like sometimes people, I mean, and I think justifiably so in this case, but people are even hostile if you bring up something that's not even related to what they're there to see. Like it's kind of like I feel bad for the opening acts at concerts. Yeah. Because like you get there and you're just like you feel bad for Joe Blow and his backyard band, but nobody's there to see them. And obviously Destiny has sold a lot of copies, but you know, nobody's really there to see Destiny. What I thought was weird was how after the whole thing so so for people who don't know the the exact story, uh, obviously developer gets up there, announces Diablo Immortal, proceeds to say, um, doesn't everybody have a phone whenever people get annoyed that it isn't on PC? Which, by the way, that to me, I, I, that's the part I don't really understand why he would ever say such a thing. It, simply because Blizzard is a PC company, first and foremost. So it's like, yeah, come on. Like, you have to expect us to ask that question. Even the guy that asked the question felt apprehensive because he's like, should I ask this? Like, but that's just a normal question to, <laughs> to ask. But the reason hey, why people thanks. are especially up in uh, arms about it all for people, people who don't uh, follow it or haven't followed the story hands. since then, since BlizzCon, uh, Blizzard actually responded. And I'll let me pull that up on screen. I think I saw a few of their responses. Wasn't Didn't they talk about that they want to bring all of their IPs to mobile events? Yeah, so that's one uh, response that I saw as well. The other one here uh, was... And this is what I think the crux of their response is uh, reliant on. And it's when they announced that we still have multiple Diablo teams working on multiple Diablo projects, which is just like, I like, I don't understand. They literally could have got up there, said Diablo Immortal, and then said, oh, yeah, by the way, guys, and just shown D with the with the number four right next to it. And that's all they had to do. Right. People would have been I would like, have saved it all with that. Exactly. They would have just been like Diablo Immortal. Who cares? We've got Diablo 4 coming. But then it's just like, they didn't learn from Bethesda. Bethesda, you know, advertised its Blades game right before, right after it advertised, you know, The Elder Scrolls 6, which is like the biggest one to come, you know. And it's it's yeah. probably six years, five years, four years away, right? It's not even close to being released. But because they did it in that way, you know, Todd's smart. He knows people aren't there to see Blades. Um, like someone made that point actually in a Reddit article, or sorry, Reddit post. They said that look, like Todd knew that us as like the dedicated uh fan base who's going to go to a BlizzCon doesn't want to see a mobile game. We want to see like the core projects, right? The core, you know, AAA experiences, the Diablo Four or whatever else. And I think that's that's a really good point. And I don't think the saving face after the fact by Blizzard is really going to repair any of the damage because. This is what we wanted you guys to do at BlizzCon. <laughs> you could also tease a Diablo 4 at BlizzCon. <laughs> yeah, it was a really poor BlizzCon, actually. I can't really think of many as poor as this one, if any. Yeah, I think the only thing we can say that is redeemable about it, obviously, is going to be everyone talking about Warcraft 3 uh, Reforged, uh, which is, as far as I know, it's a remaster, but it's just done really, really well. Yeah, it looks pretty good. And I, and I think that that will be cool. I've also heard cool things about Warcraft 3. For example, like it's going to be compatible with the original multiplayer. That's interesting. Oh, okay. The biggest thing that I found exciting was that the WoW Classic release date is a lot sooner than I thought it would be. I thought it would be winter next year or August next year, but it's summer, summer 2019. Not bad. Right, not bad at all. 
Um, and before I pivot into talking about WoW Classic, uh, which I usually do the MMO talk on my next segment, um, I wanted to talk a little bit about Fallout 76. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and so bucks or whatever, people who've been following the podcast, we've talked uh, numerous times about it with... Um, with the audience, but also even one of my uh, prior guests, Indigo Gaming, who kind of handles Fallout and Elder Scrolls talks. But, I mean, since then, really, I want to ask you, Peon, what's your whole opinion of Fallout 76? Well, I actually went into Fallout 76 as the first Fallout game I uh, really tried to get into. I've never really been able to get into the other ones before. Right. And I was disappointed, to say the least. It was... It was so poorly optimized just everything about it it really did feel like something that you'd see on steam early access just thrown up just i don't know i don't really know who the game's appealing to they're trying to appeal to like multiplayer survival game fans the pvp isn't as compelling as that of a traditional multiplayer survival game either and i i, I can't believe dude that they are charging $60 for this game. It should be 20 at the most. It's That's, essentially uh, Fallout 4 multiplayer. Right. And, and not even a good one. <laughs> like a half-baked one that's still using the same outdated Gamebryo engine, which Dark Age of Camelot was the first game to use that same engine. That's how old it is. Wow. <laughs> that's insane. That means that that engine has been around... Well, technically it's been around longer because it was called Net Immerse before that, which means that it's been around since like the late 90s, like 99, 98, and then the engine became Gamebryo, I believe, in the early 2000s. Morrowind used it in 04, Oblivion used it in like, what, what is it, 09 or 08, whenever it came out. Yeah. At this point, it's just like, why is Bethesda so tied to this engine? It's, it's strange to me. Like, I've heard with sure. Fallout 76, and this probably explains all the performance issues that you were just mentioning, um, for people who don't know, is it's that... Apparently, with Fallout 76, it was their first time ever having uh, Fallout or any type of... Um, well, sorry, I think the mobile game has a multiplayer feature to some extent. But basically, Todd, in an interview with Noclip, said that this is kind of the first time we're taking our engine into a multiplayer uh, dominion. And so they essentially had to get their champion... Um, what is it? Quake Champions team? I think it's... is Are they id Swap Software? I can't remember if the Champions Something team is... Something like that, I'm not yeah, sure. Yeah, it's, it's one of those teams. And I'm sure someone in the comments will uh, correct us. But um, it was their first time kind of taking it online. And that much is quite apparent <laughs> just from watching the videos. And then, like, the crazy thing is to me... Ha have you seen the... Uh, or got to play with the VAT system yet? No, I actually ignored that whole aspect of the game because it, it ruined my immersion. And I don't I blame like you. I don't blame you. It, like I'm showing it on screen right now. It literally just looks like an aimbot that snaps into place. And it's just like, what's crazy to me about this is, I don't know if you've ever played Max Payne, um, the most recent one, uh, the third I one, haven't. I believe. So in the and Max Payne, and also I think uh, Red Dead Redemption had this in the original multiplayer. They have those like slow quick draw moments in multiplayer where you can actually yeah. slow down time and then fight the other person. And so this is like a concept that's, I'm not going to pretend it's easy to do in a live setting. It's certainly not easy, but it's been done before. That's the crazy thing to me, looking at Fallout 76's VAT system. It's like they didn't look at any other systems that had previously happened. <laughs> like they didn't do their homework, I guess I would say. 
Yeah. Do you think the new um, Elder Scrolls game is going to be on an outdated engine, or do you think they're actually going to modernize for that? I mean, I feel like they have to modernize. Um, Todd said that they're they're as far that they don't even know if they'd launch with the current generation of consoles with the the newest Elder Scrolls. So that tells me <laughs> like four or five years away, right? Until we get a new generation of consoles. Yeah. So I mean, I would assume that that also means that they would have the proper tech. Todd also said, by the way, that they didn't have the tech that they needed to create the Elder Scrolls game they needed yet. So again, this is all Todd speaks. So <laughs> I don't know if he was just hyping us and trying to get us to buy more Skyrim copies, um, or if he, you know, is actually telling the truth. And sounds like it's a long way away then. Right, and that's what I think. I, I think that BlizzCon could have been the same thing. They could have done the same thing with Diablo. They could have said, look, it's far and away, but it's planned. And, you know, most of us Blizzard fans at that point probably would have been just satisfied with that being the answer. Yeah, people just want to know that there is something coming. Something is in development. Right. There will be the excited for. Yeah, no, I, I, I completely agree. And uh, let me go back to the big screen. So to move into my next segment, um, we can talk about MMOs. Uh, this segment is called MMOs on the Go. Uh, obviously, this is just a segment so I can talk about MMOs every time on the show. Because <laughs> that's usually what we talk about, but also usually what I focus on and Peon focuses on. So the first thing to talk about on that docket is obviously WoW Classic. And so WoW Classic was announced to come the summer of 2019, which is, you know, starting from now, uh, probably like eight, nine months at this point. What do you think of the announcement to launch it next summer? For, for me, that's a brilliant time, I think halfway through next year because hopefully a few months after that or ashes of creation are planning on launching in um like winter late late 2019 so okay. if they can do the uh summer release then that's something to play for a solid half a year and have a good amount of fun with then hopefully ashes of creation comes out on time and it will hopefully be a good time to be an mmo player fingers crossed right for the first time in <laughs> in some for the time, first time in ages yeah I would agree. I think that at first, my my reaction with the whole summer 2019 announcement was, man, they really announced this way too early. <laughs> That's probably yeah. uh, what I noticed at first. But now I kind of I think I'm kind of agreeing with you. I think it's better for them to put it, you know, in the summer of 2019. That makes it to where first off, they'll probably get uh, a better population than they might have in early Q1. I don't think Q1 is the best time to launch a game like early year because that's there's still holidays going on. And not to mention, I feel like it's the start of most people's like school and, and, and whatever else, like their new school uh, period before like spring break. So I feel like summer is probably one of the most iconic times to launch an MMO. And yeah, WoW Classic will certainly do well during its uh, summer launch. Now, I have a couple questions for you about WoW Classic. The first question okay. is just kind of like a general question, and it's what, what's your opinion of WoW Classic versus like current WoW? I, uh, I played a bit of the WoW Classic private server for a while, Nostalrius, and there's definitely um, there's a few aspects that I absolutely love about Classic, which I don't really feel the same of in the live version of the game. The um, I think the main thing is just that feeling of being just a random adventurer. You're not someone who's important in the lore. Ever since Warlords of Draenor onwards, Blizzard have done this stupid thing where you, at first your character was the commander of a garrison. 
whereas ev- everyone's a bloody commander. Right. In Legion, you're you're the only hero of your class that can wield this legendary artifact weapon. And in Battle for Azeroth, you're literally the only person on Azeroth who is qualified to wear this shitty necklace artifact thing that can is the only thing that can save the world. It, honestly, it feels ridiculous in an MMO sense when you've got all these other players running around like this and you've got npcs bowing to you and it and just and acting as if you're so great i don't like it at all i like being the adventurer that starts from wearing rags goes around the world exploring no one knows who i am i'm just a random adventurer and it's a lot from a from an mmo perspective i think it's a lot better that way and another aspect of WoW Classic that I really enjoyed was it it really did feel a lot more like an RPG because um, pulling too many mobs and stuff would easily get you killed and there's nothing you can do. You really looked forward to every stat upgrade in Classic. I remember when I played on the on hey, Staurius, I got well, excited got because I earned enough silver to go buy some some grey armour from a blacksmith, like vendor grey Black, um, blacksmith armor and and it felt nice because it was like oh I've got like 10 extra armor I'm going to take slightly less damage and it's just little things like that every upgrade feels amazing in classic it feels like your grind is is more rewarding and I, I can't help but think that's because of really the erosion of long term progression as like yeah. a method of progression in MMOs, especially like <laughs> there's kind of like this dangerous word, I think in the MMO circle and it's a uh, streamline streamline is like both this good word, but also this dangerous word. And, and streamline is basically what I think of when I think of uh war to Warcraft's, I guess, impact on the market is that they essentially took the EverQuest uh, idea and streamlined it and did quite a good job at doing that. But then over the course of the next four or five years, uh, it, it continued to streamline, streamline, streamline until it essentially ripped out any form of like meaningful long-term gear progression or just progression in general. It started tying up a lot more progressions and RNG things and, and, and everything was now about. Uh, it, even if you do know the location of the spawn, there's still not a chance that you'll get the, the piece that you necessarily want. And if you do get the piece that you want, you have to deal with all of the Azerite stuff as well. <laughs> yeah. And it's just like, I think people like wow fans. And this sounds a little bit insulting to some extent, but I almost feel like they've been awoken by this recent, like battle for Azeroth, uh, expansion, but also kind of failures to some extent. I feel like these issues have already been there but they just haven't been as prevalent or noticed as much. And maybe yeah, I agree. Right. Maybe people like you and I who cover this stuff all the time, maybe we've kind of already seen it uh, maybe years back even. Cause I, I, to be honest, I felt this when I went back and played cataclysm and that was years ago. I was already feeling kind of like, uh, I don't know. It, it doesn't quite feel like the same experience that I remember it being, but also certainly, I mean, and of course that was the point of cataclysm. It was supposed to like, have this big cataclysm and change the world or whatever else but it just didn't have that same meaning i didn't care about the world of azeroth as much as i used to and also i feel like i should care about it um the mmo worlds like these days especially in the current wow 
they feel kind of like I don't know if you would agree, but they feel more like a hey, lobby game, thanks. like a lobby. But you've got the wrong guy. multiplayer I'm MMO. Good at shooting people, cracking walls, pretending to know how to agree. fight with the, my hands. Wow's kind of changed a lot over the years. The thing that one of the things that I think people really loved about Vanilla was, and and Burning Crusade, and to some extent Wrath of the Lich King was the progression. Back in those days, like in Vanilla, you would have to go through a whole process to get to Naxxramas at the end of the expansion. It doesn't matter what point you join the expansion, the journey is always the same. There's no catch-up gear. You have to go through Molten Core, then, um, and I can't remember what the next one is, Blackwing Lair, then, uh, then it's the, the bug one, then Naxxramas. Then in, um, in Burning Crusade, it's the same kind of thing. There's very there was very little catch-up systems in that game, which met, which kept all of the content relevant for a lot longer, no matter what point you joined in the expansion. It was kind of like that for a while in Wrath of the Lich King, and then over time they started adding more and more catch-up. And the way I see WoW nowadays is World of Warcraft is only as big as its most recent patch, which for an MMORPG, I find it gets quite stale really quickly. You, you think to yourself, what's the point of going for absolute max best in slot gear, going through all of these RNG systems to get the best gear when in a few weeks, maybe a few months, everything's going to be outdated. Right. And, and, and also to, to piggyback off of that, it, I feel like a lot of the players start to realize that even if I so if I play as best as I possibly can play or as as dedicated as I possibly could play, I could still arrive at the same end game as this other player who plays far less than me and is far worse than me <laughs> because of all yeah. of these new catch up mechanics and 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 mechanics that exist to where even if you work much harder than somebody else, there's no guarantee that you'll necessarily do better than them and and that honestly. I feel really bad for the PvE audience because, you know, as someone who's not typically a PvE player myself, I still obviously engage in it, but I, I can't help but feel like, man, if there isn't a gear grind and the whole, like, gear grind isn't as uh, fleshed out as it used to be, which has always been a big part of WoW, I feel like, what really is there besides, uh, you know, maybe getting the achievement or whatever else? Like, I feel like that's kind of the brunt of having that kind of raid content is the promise that you'll get, you know, more progression and and more gear and and i almost feel like maybe at this point either the blizzard team can't quite figure out what to give the audience or they're just so out of touch which after watching this blizzcon i think we can all safely say it's it's probably that they're out of touch because man like it, just hearing like ion one of the lead devs of wow talk about the whole expansion how it's supposed to be this work in progress expansion. And then I'm sure you've done videos on WoW uh, before. Uh, in fact, you've done a lot. Uh, a lot of your original videos were on WoW. Yeah. You have more experience with the audience than I do. What I found is even throughout all of this, you still have WoW loyalists constantly saying, oh, guys, like R Warlords of Draenor was bad at launch. You just got to give it more time. And it's like, when are we going to start judging expansions based on when they actually launch and when you pay the money for them <laughs> versus like months down the road where you know that apparently is the only time that we can judge the game whenever they've actually completed it which is like not our our fault as a consumer that we're buying the game and it's not done when we're buying it yeah wow's uh i don't think wow is very good value for money right now honestly you have like 
an expansion launches, you're probably going to have fun for a month or two. Then you're going to be bored for a while. There's probably three patches per expansion nowadays, each of which maybe give you a month of fun. And in between that time, you're still paying the 15 a month. The uh, 9 99 well, it depends where you live, per month for the subscription. doesn't really seem worth it. I think WoW has burned a lot of people out of the subscription model. And I think mm. the subscription model for WoW is... Um, I, th I think the devs are kind of designing their RNG systems to retain as many players as possible. Right. Because if people are constantly chasing the best-in-slot stats all of the Warforged and Thunderforged thing, then they're going to be playing a lot longer. But I think people are realizing that they're on that treadmill and that it's kind of pointless, hence why Battle for Azeroth has had such backlash in many ways. I really want to explore what you said about, um, in, in regards to this most recent expansion, not really being, or doing subscription model, the game, the, I guess I would say the subscription business model, any favors, uh, wow, in particular. And I, and I really think that that's a point that doesn't get talked about enough. And I've mentioned it a couple of times, but in a different point, usually the point that I mentioned is that wow created a business model. That's not really sustainable for like 99% of other MMO developers. And it's like basically what exactly what you said, this constant crunch schedule of putting out the next best, uh, expansion is really how a lot of WoW content has focused in the past couple of years, where it's like, it's all about getting to that next expansion. And they found artificial ways to extend that amount of time that it takes to get there, instead of actually adding more content. And, and also, just like as you said as a whole, WoW is one of the only major successful MMOs right now, probably the only that gets by on just having a sub fee. It doesn't have any other way uh, well, I mean, it has a free trial, but I mean, obviously, anyone who plays WoW in any serious capacity has to sub. Um, I mean, that's just the only way to play the game. But yeah. other games, obviously, have altered a lot of their game models. You have buy-to-play games out. You have uh, subscription VIP memberships that are like a freemium model where it's not necessarily required, but it gives you benefits in the way of like ESO or uh, Guild Wars 2. Or No, Guild Wars 2 does, has the buy-to-play, but... I don't think they have the VIP subscription. I'm thinking of um, Elder Scrolls and Final Fantasy XIV still has a subscription model. I shouldn't forget to mention that one. But I think that's probably because it maybe fits that game more so than it does like ESO. But ESO has also attempted a subscription model in the past. Anyway, point being, it's not sustainable, I don't think, to have this kind of content that's completely reliant on developer-made content. Because, like for example, you and I have tried smaller MMOs uh, let's say, for example, an MMO, the scale of Project Gorgon or the scale of an even larger MMO. Like, let's even take a old school RuneScape into account. Like, yeah, old school RuneScape. First off, I, that's another topic that I wanted to talk about with its whole recent mobile release, which has done like amazing. Apparently, yes, did very well. Right. Apparently, they've gone up 30,000 players since uh, launching on uh and probably more since then even more than that i think um they peaked at 140,000 wow. yesterday and that i think they used to peak at 60 or 80,000 so they've gained 60,000 players wow and that's just insane to me uh and and it's well the other thing that's crazy is like how runescape to me has continued to be this outlier success that we've all kind of laughed at and just said oh it's just kind of that game that we all played as a kid it's you know, we don't take it that, you know, seriously. And, and I certainly don't talk about it en enough as I should. But 
this whole old school RuneScape mobile thing to me has just been really pleasant to watch because it's proof that first off, that old style of game still works, which we already knew that. It's, but... it's the way they handle the game, honestly, why it works. The, the old school RuneScape developers are absolutely fantastic. So this is a game. Also, I think it has the best business model in the MMO genre. So if you haven't played old school RuneScape before, basically what they do is they have a free version of the game, right? And this free version of the game allows you to go into free worlds. And you've got free worlds and you've got members world. And there's different items. There's items that free-to-play players can use and items that members can use. And members can also do different activities. It gives you a lot of content if you pay for a membership, basically. But the free-to-play aspect is basically to give you a pretty substantial taste of the game. So the, the good thing about the system is the members' items aren't used on free-to-play worlds. So free-to-play worlds basically have their own meta. Everyone's wearing free-to-play gear. You go into the wilderness and do some PvP, and you're fighting against other free-to-play players. No one has any gear advantage over you. And then when you go to a member's world, you're fighting against other people with the set access to the same gear as you also. The free trial works as a really good way of dragging new players into the game. Old School RuneScape also has weekly updates every single week, and they also have a weekly Q&A where the devs just talk to the community on Twitch, they grab questions out of the Twitch chat, they straw poll ideas. Absolutely fantastic. I wish more devs were like that, honestly. I agree, and I think it's probably, I mean, to some extent, we've experienced this as content creators. Other people who haven't, I guess, opened themselves up to the public haven't maybe experienced this in the same way, but what I'm talking about is kind of the concept of as you start to get more popularity, obviously that means more voices are being heard. And, and it doesn't necessarily mean that more good voices are being heard. <laughs> it could mean a bunch of bad voices are being heard. I feel like it's so easy for developers to start to insulate themselves, just like it is for a content creator to start to insulate themselves and try and make sure, how do I not interact with my audience as much as I possibly can, <laughs> but still provide content for them? Yeah. And I think you can definitely see that with, with uh, the recent WoW drama. I mean, a lot of people are starting to call into question. Do you guys even still play the game? And when your player base starts to ask you that question, it definitely means you've missed something along the way in regards to convincing them that you are still very much about your game and, and uh, its longevity. And I think that those weekly updates are good at that. The other thing that I wanted to mention is they do that thing where they vote on a certain feature, right? Or a certain change, which I feel yeah. like basically no other MMO does in any serious capacity, which is also very unique in that the, the audience themselves can actually like impact the way the game is designed, which is... You actually vote in-game at polling booths. <laughs> See, I didn't even know if it was in-game. That's, that's even crazier to me. Yeah, you go into a bank and there's polling booths there and you've got a bunch of um, things that you can vote on. And if they get 75% approval plus, then they usually get implemented into the game. RuneScape, it's something that I think could be, imp uh, sorry, I should say could be iterated on more, like that type of design, the, the isometric top-down view. And it's one that's, I would say more recently has started to see a lot of work. Lost Ark is coming out, uh, you know, in 2025 in America. The other, <laughs> the other Asian ARPGs are probably coming out by then as well. Uh, there's, a, of course, a couple uh, Kickstarter games like Fractured, 
what's the other one off the uh, Legends of Aria? Uh, there's a couple yeah. other ones off the top of my head where it seems like isometric, top down, you know, maybe even 2D th- with 3D elements is is coming back into maybe Vogue. <laughs> it's 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 now Vogue again. I, there's not, a lot of isometric games, MMO games right. in the world. Right, and I, I wonder if you've noticed the same thing. It certainly seems like people are starting to realize that maybe that could be a trend that could be capitalized on, obviously with the successes of um, Path of Exile to some extent. That affects it, um, of course. There, I mean, there's been many, many, many uh, isometric loot em up games that have been successful for a long time. Obviously, we, we have to mention Diablo, even with their recent uh, fiascos. Yeah. So I'm, I'm certainly surprised I haven't seen more MMOs, but we're, we're starting to see more of those style of game uh more recently now another question i wanted to ask was kind of uh we've gone over this a little bit briefly but what's your opinion on like the current state of mmos and i know that's a very broad and deep question (laughs) but um it's it's one that i feel like deserves the amount of time for someone you know from your position to answer (laughs) it's um i think we're in a really difficult process because for most most of the MMOs, Western MMOs that are in development, a lot of them are crowdfunded, and there's very little like big AAA MMOs in development that we're actually aware of. The reason for that is like the gaming industry kind of follows trends, and there's been so many failures of MMOs in recent times that investors aren't willing to invest in developers to make the game and publishers um really struggle to pick up these games unless they want to add um like pay to win systems in it the free a publisher is probably not going to pick up a western game that wants to go with a subscription or buy to play model for example they're most likely only going to go for the free to play model because in recent years that has been shown to be one of the most profitable models even though it doesn't it doesn't really please us too much unfortunately the fact remains is pay to win games make a lot of money even with a tiny fraction of the player base so currently what we're doing right now is we're waiting for a um a crowdfunded or self-funded mmo to basically show the gaming industry that subscription non-pay-to-win MMOs can still work. Right. And that, that's what we're waiting to do. So when the rest of the industry sees that there's still a market for that, then you're going to have more people investing in other MMOs that want to follow a similar, a similar kind of route. Yeah, I think that, that, that basically sums up kind of what my thoughts are as well. I mean, at the, at the moment, I think it's, it's very easy for people to think, oh, we just need more AAA games. But what people don't realize is that the AAA games, even if they could come out right now, which obviously we've already mentioned many different reasons why they maybe would have a difficult time coming out now, even if they do yeah. come out now, they're probably not going to be the kind of game that people want. And I mean, like, that's going to push the envelope forward because really at this point, I think it's up to the community, you know, Kickstarter, these different community funded uh, MMOs. Those are probably going to be the ones, at least one of them is going to be one of the MMOs that could potentially uh, get AAA companies and investors back interested into the uh, MMORPG genre. But it's a very risky one, and that's basically why it's guaranteed that 
the success isn't going to come from the top in terms of innovation because <laughs> the the one who's at the top like when you look at world of warcraft right what incentive do they have to really like innovate anymore they don't have a whole lot of incentive it's it's risky if anything um, yeah that's true it's very risky for them not to mention they could piss off their more kind of classic audience which i mean they they've already started doing that <laughs> they're at that point now so they'll have to deal with that uh, soon enough but what with wow classic on the horizon i think blizzard is pretty safe in this in the sense that if they do lose some population, it, they're not really going to lose it. They're just going to get it in their other game, uh, unless they somehow muck that up. So as long as they don't muck that up, and I know people were complaining that apparently they're using the current engine, and I don't know why that surprises people. <laughs> I really don't. I mean, <laughs> like someone said in the Reddit post about the whole WoW, uh, WoW Classic thing, they said, um, do you expect them to have iterated on an engine for 14 years and not use any of the not use any of the updates or any of the new tech that they've yeah, iterated? It's it's kind of like I mean, really, I could just ask you the question. I don't think that you're uh the type of person that is maybe like a hundred percent a purist, like I would describe someone as like Asmongold being. Uh, what's yeah. your opinion on the whole keep WoW classic classic thing? I want it to be as classic as it can be. Like um they uh in the demo there was sharding for example which concerned me because if there was full sharding throughout the whole experience then it's kind of immersion breaking isn't it seeing people popping in and out of existence mm -hmm. but luckily um ion has acostas clarified that the sharding was just for the demo and they only plan to use sharding just for extreme instances of population maybe at the starting area for launch or something and stuff like that, it makes sense. I can understand that. But things like things like the weather as well. WoW Classic had fantastic weather. I really hope they ha go back to classic weather effects rather than current weather effects. Honestly, I think the, mo the more classic, the better for me. I would agree as well. I think the only changes that I'm okay with would be quality of life changes that don't take away from the, like, the base design of the game. And what I mean by that is, because um, I know that that in itself needs to be explained. For example, if there's a game-breaking bug in the game or something that simply doesn't function right, it needs to be fixed. I mean, that's just to me, it just needs to be fixed, regardless of if it's classic or not. If it's bugged or not working properly, it needs to be fixed. But as for yeah. anything past that point, um, I really... There's not a whole lot of things that I'd be willing to change because I see people's it, people use a lot of like the slippery slope fallacy, which is, you know, kind of the idea that if they change one thing, they'll change everything. And uh, while obviously that's a fallacy, I don't think it's necessarily true. It's not out of the question. I mean, because they've already done it in the other game. <laughs> so it's kind of like I see why people are very hesitant because they've already had to say goodbye to WoW Classic before. <laughs> and so yeah. they're like, you guys for sure aren't touching anything, right? They're trying to make sure they don't touch anything uh, with the game at all. But I I'm, I'm excited about WoW Classic. I think, first off, it'll be exciting to see all the supposed WoW Classic fans realize that WoW Classic maybe ain't what they're thinking it is. Because <laughs> it's yeah. certainly not only a long-term progression-minded game, it's a more difficult game. Uh, if you just consider even just basic you know, leveling is, is much more difficult than it is uh, currently. Uh, obviously, not to mention the introduction of like PvP servers again and RP PvP servers. I'm really excited for that, personally. I'm I'm curious to see kind of 
how PvP in a WoW Classic server could look in 2019, you know? I think it could be quite good. That was one of the uh, better things about WoW Classic, because no flying mounts. And you used to have a lot of massive raids, like Horde groups going to attack the Alliance, Alliance going to attack the Horde, hundreds of people. And I don't know, back even on Nostalrius, you had that. I think I was in like a 200 versus 200 fight on Nostalrius, and I, rec- I recorded it one day, and the frame rate was just so good because it was such an old game. Right. It was just pure 60 FPS. It was glorious. Somebody asked a good question that I guess we could both answer in the comments. Somebody said, um, do you think new players would enjoy WoW Classic, coming from someone who never got into WoW originally? Depends if you've gotten used to all of the convenience and stuff that modern WoW offers. If you can't live with that, then maybe not. I, I think, um, you know, surprisingly, I think a lot of new MMO players that haven't played the WoW Classic experience actually would enjoy the Classic experience, just simply because when I think about WoW Classic, I think about it as a more of a cohesive game because everything seems more connected, I guess I would say. There's less uh, reliance on instances uh auto join features and lfg lfrs types of deals you have to actually meet people you have to actually talk to them actually get them to join your group and potentially help you you have to actually travel uh to whatever dungeon you need to get to and if you're on a pvp server like i want to play on that introduces a whole lot of other fun aspects into it i i certainly think that there's something there for a new type of player who hasn't already experienced wild classic I, i think it's worth trying but you certainly have to go in with that understanding that, well, first off, rolls. <laughs> You're going to have to be making rolls on your attack. Like, RPG stats are back into the game, I think, is a big yeah. thing. And you can tell that immediately in the way the game plays, the speed of it, and whatever else. Yeah, I, I think that there's something certainly there for the WoW Classic player who hasn't, or the, the new WoW Classic player, I guess I would say. Um, one thing I wanted to ask, because I know you've talked a little bit about uh, some of the upcoming MMOs on your channel, of course, with your first impressions and also uh, like the video you did on Ashes of Creation. Yeah. Currently, right now, what would you say the most promising MMOs are in the future of you know the MMO uh, space right now? I think Ashes of Creation is probably number one. Okay. Simply, be- simply because of you know how earlier I mentioned the big issue that MMOs currently face with funding. Right. Well, this game's being funded by a guy that's like us and kind of sick of all of that and kind of wants to break the mold. Um, the guy in charge, Steven, put over 30 million of his own money in it. He can fully, he's fully funded the game, essentially, to launch. And then he's found a publishing deal um, where they've accepted that he has 100% control over the game. So hmm. I think I think purely on finance, that's probably the one that's got the most chance. The other games are way less funded. So I don't know. I don't see how the other ones have too much of a chance when it comes to finances. Uh, someone in chat actually asked a good question. I haven't necessarily been sold. Well, first off, I, I rarely ever get sold on any new MMOs. I mean, <laughs> I've been around, unfortunately, too long <laughs> and gotten way yeah. too hype over, you know. I mean, you you basically grew up in the same age that I did, which is that we went through the periods of 2006 or 2004 through 2009, where it was like an MMO was launching every couple months. 
like a triple A MMO was launching every year. Which Dude, is like I wish I was insane. doing YouTube back then. <laughs> oh, I, I know, especially because think about this is another funny enough, another question that I wanted to ask. And that was kind of like about the YouTube MMO audience. It's certainly not what it used to be. I mean, you still do good numbers and and I've been doing well lately. There's still a market there, but it's certainly not like it used to be. Like, I'm sure you remember like the old WoW days, like when I used to watch like, you know, going back way back then, Zyback, like play Feral Druid and stuff like Back then, everybody was making YouTube videos, and WoW was obviously the most popular game, and, and it had an insanely large audience. I can't help but yeah. feel like the, the MMO audience as a whole has shrunk in a lot of ways, but it's more so that I think many of us have found refugee or become refugees in other uh, genres. Kind of like you see people going to MOBAs because they want PvP. You see people going to shooters, same thing. You see people starting to play games like... Um, dauntless even these kind of more monster world uh, style games uh maybe because yeah. of mmos lacking in that sort of area all right i was sometimes it's a bad thing to read the comments because you forget what you're saying mid-sentence uh but one thing i wanted to ask you about ashes of creation was a little bit of explanation that was my long roundabout way okay. of saying that i haven't really <laughs> followed uh the newer MMOs, and, and what I mean by the, following the newer MMOs, obviously I follow them, but unless they really have any substantial gameplay, I pretty much don't really take them all that seriously, just personally, just because I, you know, I don't know what they could possibly show. But you've actually had the chance of playing Ashes of Creation and talk to developers firsthand, and I know that that's a lot, obviously a lot more reassuring than just watching a video or seeing like a Kickstarter. So can you tell yeah. me, like Ashes of Creation to you, what do you think are its biggest selling points? Well, the fact that it's going to be a sandbox kind of designed MMO with the subscription model. So those are two things that I think go really well together, that the people behind it are strictly against pay to win. The um, I think the node system that the game's got, the game's working on, I guess it'd be quite hard to explain how it works on stream, but that's definitely one really unique aspect to the game, which I can't think of any other MMOs that have had something similar before. Um, the the big question with Ashes of Creation is, will they pull off the combat? Honestly, because right now they've got like they're testing the game in a battle royale mode, which is just for testing. Which the apocalypse or whatever it's called, right? Yeah, which not too sure if that was a great idea because a lot of people now think the game's a battle royale, and a lot of people are scared that it's gonna turn into a battle royale no matter how mm. how many times it's been clarified. But it's got, it currently has a very basic action kind of combat system in it, but it doesn't have things like class kits. It doesn't have, it's going to be a, a tab targeting action combat hybrid. And we haven't seen what those two systems together at the same time look like yet. So, okay. So there's the tab target isn't currently like really the feature it, of the game? They've they figured out the tab targeting separately. They've figured out some aspects of the action combat separately. They haven't put together the class kits yet, and they haven't merged action and tab together with those class kits yet, which yeah. should be happening in a few months. So I think if they can nail the combat, I think it's got a really good chance of being successful because it's got so many elements that we all want in an MMO. It's got, I think they want to have long-term progression, um, in-depth quests, lots of... Um, professions 
it's almost like a traditional MMO Housing. in the sense that it's trying to go for someone in chat said it well like it's going for like the PvX experience which is like yeah. player versus everything. Yeah, castle sieges, um raids, dungeons, things like that. So it's really trying to appeal to everyone. Scene. Okay. Can you explain to me? I think it they call it the is it the node system that they Yeah. Like, okay, can you explain that system to me? I I've never heard so, it explained well. <laughs> so basically there's the world is split up into lots of different areas, points of interest, essentially. If you go to one of these points of interest and start killing mobs, um, gathering, crafting, doing quests, X, the XP you earn, a portion of that XP, goes to the node in the area in which you've done that activity. And this is shared across a, bu across a bunch of different players. So... As XP goes into the node, it levels up. So it goes from being a little camp to a little village to then a little town to a uh, to eventually being what is essentially like a, a big city, a massive metropolis. And it depend which the areas in which these cities, villages, and towns are built all depends on where players decide to explore um, altogether. So each server would essentially. Um, be at different states of progression and depending on which nodes are unlocked in which areas you're going to get different quests different raids um, different types of creatures attacking the city and the nodes can be um, de-leveled through pvp essentially so say one guild owns a castle which is associated to a maximum level node which would be a city the people could rise up attack that pack that castle, have a successful castle siege, and the node goes down in level, which opens up progression somewhere else over the map, because you can't have every node become a, a max level node at the same time. You can only have a few like that in the world at once. So the way they're doing it in that regard, to me it sounds like it would be extremely easy to add further content into the game and expand upon the world. Right. And also, players aren't just going to eat through the content within the space of a month. Because you're essentially time-gated through the node system. Okay. Players, yeah. I think I, I think I understand that better. Um, so it almost seems like the incentive for... So, so let me get this straight. So in terms of the way the game works on a base level, would you say it's guild-based or is it faction-based? Um, Guild. It's okay. not. I don't think there are factions, right? Okay, so there's no factions in the game. That means that the incentive to want to have a max level node in your control is is to get the uh, the the benefits that it gives you, I guess, like experience and yeah. There's there's different races, and depending on the race you pick depends on where in the world you'll spawn. I think there's three possible spawn points into the world depending on which race you pick. So. Race population also has a lot to do with it as well. Somebody in chat was mentioning that um, you can actually be attacked anywhere. Is is that true? Like, do they have a crime system, a alignment system? How are they yeah, handling they've got, they've got PKs? Um, I, I can't remember off the top of my head, but I know it's got some kind of flagging system okay. where you can flag yourself to be a combatant, a uh, flag for PvP. And I think if you attack other people that are flagged for PvP, I don't think the penalties are too bad. But if you attack someone, if you just randomly gank someone that's 
no interest in fighting, they're AFK fishing, and I think you get quite severe penalties. Okay, yeah, I think someone, Grey Pelt, just mentioned it. He says, flagging system, non-combatant, combatant, and corrupt player. Corrupt players are open loot. Others can only drop crafting mats that haven't been processed. So it basically sounds kind of like Archage's system in some ways. I don't know if you remember that, where like you could have the trade packs, but you you could only drop like the resources. You couldn't actually drop any of your actual gear. I didn't play much Archage, but I know the guy that's funding the game absolutely loved Archage and played the crap out of it. So there's probably a lot of Archage aspects to it. Okay. Yeah, I mean, it sounds, first off, that concept of the nodes is something that I actually have thought about and talked about on the channel um, in, in regards to where I describe the idea of certain races being able to create certain outposts. And this has been done in certain games, like Tabula Rasa has done it in a minor way. Guild Wars 2 does it in minor ways, um, but they're not obviously as effective. Uh, Wildstar did it a little bit too, uh, Rip Wildstar. But um, these different games have attempted to do some type of way of interacting you as the player with the actual world, but they haven't done a, a really good job of that. And I think that based on what you're saying, and I, I agree with you that I think it's a really good job or an idea for Ashes of Creation to take a system in which they can basically directly put in new content fairly easily because it's already like a set up from a base design level. So when, when the game is designed to work around node systems, there's a lot of easy ways that they can put incentive to want to control territory, control nodes, and also why you would want to potentially attack other people's nodes in other parts of the map. I think that that's, first off, that's a really cool system because it makes the map itself actually mean something. And it's not, it, for example, uh, let's say like in a starter zone or in a zone that nobody has been to in a while, right? I don't know, some undead zone or whatever else from WoW. Yeah. Take any other example. Could that zone theoretically become a node or be a node and would then be actually useful in some way? Because I think that that's a really good idea that you could essentially make otherwise useless areas useful by just including them into that system. Yeah, if if you uh, made room to progress that node by destroying another node. Also, there's a little bit more depth to that system as well. It's not just uh, every city's the same. Right. So there's there's something like four different paths a city can take. Economic, um, religious, militaristic, and something else we can't remember. There's four different types of city. Maybe it's political. Depending on the type of node or city and the way it's progressed, depends. you get a bunch of different benefits from that city, which wouldn't be included in another city which creates an incentive for players to attack other cities if they're not happy with the benefits that whoever is in charge of that city has um, which progression path they're taking it down. So maybe people don't like one node being a religious node, so they go attack it because they want a militaristic city instead to benefit from the buffs of that. So that's kind of cool. And I think... Each town and city also has a decent, a, a different um, skin to it, essentially. A different aesthetic based on the race that took over or leveled up the node. So say elves leveled up a node, it would have an elven aesthetic. So humans okay. leveled up a node, it would have a human aesthetic and so on. Hmm. It sounds like I need to talk to them more because uh, that, those are concepts that I've thought about myself, which I feel like are very simple like ideas. That have already been attempted like what tabula rasa used to do is it used to have this this like group of npcs they were kind of like a strike force 
and they were a mob spawn. And if you didn't address that mob spawn, what that mob spawn would do was fight against the other NPCs, the the human NPCs, I guess you would say in this uh, example. And if you didn't assist them, they would actually lose. It's a losing battle for them without the help of players. And so the the mobs would take over the spawn and then actually own that outpost. And you you as a player would have to actually go and stop them from taking over a certain outpost. Unfortunately, in the end, it ended up just being kind of like that was it. They just like took control of the outpost. It didn't mean anything. <laughs> but oh. it sounds like from the way Ashes of Creation is trying to do it, they're trying to add a lot more incentive to either want to disrupt that or not disrupt that. I think an easy way, if any, is just add a tax system that <laughs> i mean i feel like uh you being a british person would would understand how just literally uh making taxes a part of your game already adds like so much more conflict <laughs> within the game uh a funny like nostalgic question that i wanted to ask you was um and this is a good one so really think as as much as you can about it what mmo in the past did you want to succeed the most? You, you got to out yourself right here and there. Uh, what was the most hyped MMO, I guess, for you personally that you wanted oh, so much? Yeah, that that maybe didn't EverQuest do quite next. well. EverQuest next, okay. Why in particular EverQuest next? Out of curiosity, because just the way the way it kind of failed. Like we, as a gaming community, we don't really know what was wrong with it, and we didn't right. get to play it. And it, from the point of view of all the trailers and everything that was said about it, it looked really cool. Being able to design the world, it looked like it had a lot of innovation to it. I liked the art style. It just looked quite cool. I'm really sad we didn't get to see more of what it was about. I never got to try it. And, and what I feel the worst about uh, with that project in particular is basically like you. Like My favorite thing to do, first off, I love mysteries. I love solving things. And that's basically what I try and do the majority of the time on my channel is solve why certain games didn't particularly work well. And it sucks with certain MMOs like Imperator Online, Harry Potter Online, um, the original Battle for Middle Earth Online, which was like another Lord of the Rings site. There's so many Stargate. Like there's been so many different MMO IPs that never came to fruition. Obviously World of Darkness, that's a big one as well that never came to fruition. Those stories are the ones that hurt the most in a way because it's like you'll never be able to really, unless someone just spills the beans, you're never really going to get the story behind it all. Uh, yeah. Especially in the case of EverQuest Next where it's like it went from being like the next best greatest thing ever to all of a sudden they just said that the game wasn't fun. And I feel like there's far more that went into it. Obviously, they got acquired they became Daybreak at the same time that they were trying to do EverQuest Next. So maybe all of that affected to some extent that um, fucking house they just said it, it's not fun that's that's pretty much all they gave us i always stopped it wasn't fun what 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 do you mean it's not fun what wasn't fun about it right tell us more yeah my remark about the it wasn't fun comment is just like that means that you've messed up so drastically <laughs> that, that again from the outside looking in that kind of statement means that you've like messed up so drastically there's no conceivable way you could recover so that to me makes it sound like it's it was really horrible. <laughs> but, yeah, uh, that that's that's a that's a good one though. I think a lot of people would uh, would be in agreement about EverQuest next. My next question is um, about the MMORPG audience in general. Do you think that right now they prefer more of a PVE game, PVP game, 
or all of the above. Uh, and to add a little bit of backstory, obviously games started being um, quite... I would say games early on were a little bit all-encompassing. Sure, they had PvE focuses and even PvP focuses, but I felt like games back then certainly were designed or advertised to be more of like jack-of-all-trades. And I think that that's kind of coming to an end now. We're starting to see more MMOs specialize. And I guess to further expand the question, what's your opinion on that whole thing? That's true. I think um, generally with the current MMO audience, it seems like PvE is the most important thing. A lot of uh, there are a lot of people that love PvP and love PvP MMOs, but I think a lot of the people who previously in the past would have really enjoyed PvP MMOs, I think they've found PvP in other games. So maybe if there is another really good PvP MMO one day, all of these people will come back. But there's and maybe the reason that most of the people I see enjoy PvE is because there are still good PvE experiences to be had in MMOs. Like right. whilst WoW's raids are still pretty good, right? Mythic mm-hmm. Dungeons are still decent. Final Fantasy fourteen fairly doing fairly strong in terms of PvE. But when you look at PvP MMOs, it's uh it's not going too well. Black Desert's kind of dead in terms of PvP. Guild Wars 2 World versus World isn't as competitive as it used to be. So th- there's not really much going on in terms of that. Would you say that's um more so because as I guess the market has evolved to some extent and it's made a lot of content more instant, people who do PvP in this day and age just kind of don't see the point in playing an MMO because I get that a lot. And people are like, in this, you know, in 2018, why are you going to play an MMO for PvP when you could play a MOBA, when you could play uh, an arena game, when you could play Battle Right, when you can play Zeal and all of these other types of games? And it's kind of hard to argue with that. But I can't help but feel like maybe it's because we haven't had a good PvP MMO with like long term progression like Dark Age of Camelot used to be, where it was basically like the sole form of progression. And I wonder if games that aren't uh, exclusively or or focused largely on their PvP like design, if it's just not destined to work properly. And I can't help but feel like that's the case. Like if you just if you just tack on PvP to your MMO, it's not going to be good enough, and it's always going to just be seen as like a a side uh, you know gig or whatever else. It's not really like the main focus of the game. I think um, I think if you implement PvP into MMOs properly, it can definitely give you a completely different experience than what's currently out there in other PvP games, that's for sure. Okay. Like, take Black Desert, for example. I, I loved PvP in that game back in 2017 when there was a fairly decent amount of people actually PvPing. What that game offered was long-term progression in a persistent world where I could join a guild form rivalries with other guilds guilds and participate in really large scale pvp epic battles where if you lose you're going to have shit talked about you for the rest of the week it's brilliant you you're like you're fighting for like pride essentially in a pvp mmo and that's something that i don't really feel as much in any other pvp game and a lot of other pvp games they're not persistent world games hmm so you think ultimately like the the key of a PvP MMORPG is like to really rein in on the whole persistent, you know, permanence aspects and the long-term progressions. I think 
you need to have like good rewards for like big battles and stuff like have large scale pvp epic battles because if you just do small scale stuff then why would you not just play a moba or a shooter or thing you right. want to have large scale battles because other genres don't offer those massive fights um you also want to have rewards like the guild that wins the battle gets money gets recognition through their banner being placed up in a in a in a castle or something cosmetics for victory stuff like that you want to have recognition and then the community of those games can come together and do things like podcasts where they talk about the battles the community can get behind guilds that they like and that they don't like stuff like that's really good when it happens it happened it was it was happening in black desert for a long time but kind of dead now Someone actually brought up kind of an interesting point, and and it's kind of like for some PvE players and PvP players, they're almost like destined to hate each other because that one time the PvE player was killed in an MMO like 10 years ago, he never forgot, and he holds it against every PvP player ever. But even just like from a design aspect, like that's that I'm memeing there, but even from a design aspect, oftentimes if you change a skill in PvP, it will affect its PvE skill. And not mo- most games don't do what Guild Wars 2 does generally, which is it like balances them separately. Um, yeah. It, most MMOs don't do that. And so I kind of feel like maybe that's a reason why these communities have been at odds. But what I kind of find interesting is. And, and and I feel like Asian MMOs are very common at uh, doing this or putting this in as like a big form of their progression. And it's kind of like PVE progression that leads into PVP progression. And what's your opinion on like either a game marrying the two together and making one uh, needed to be done with the other? Like in some cases you need to grind in PVE in order to get a certain item in PVP, right? Uh, versus like keeping them completely separate and maybe make it to where you don't even need to PVE in some cases. Like, even I mean, Guild Wars 2 has done that with its PVP uh, primarily. It's it's a structured PVP. You can, you know, play max level, make a character, a template. You don't really have to worry about any serious form of progression. I guess, what's your opinion on that? Do you think it's a good idea that MMOs do that? Like, maybe Black Desert Online or whatever else? I think, um, I think... I think PvPers and PvEers for a good MMO, I think they need each other. Mm. Because everyone starts out as a PvE player when you go into an MMO. You don't just start out as a PvP player. The thing that turns people into PvP players is that time where they're getting absolutely smashed by some by someone um, PvPing and trash-talking them. You kind of... Well, there's some PvEers just fucking hate it. They log out and they run away. Others, they think, I want to be that guy. I, I'm sick of getting shit on by this random nerd. I want to be able to defend myself and hold my own in a fight. And a PvP is born. And PV, PvE in MMOs a lot of the time makes PvP more meaningful. For example, let's, um, let's just say there's a boss in a PvP area. If it's instanced and everyone can just PvE that boss, at the same time, then it's a fairly um, it's a fairly boring encounter. You go into it and you know exactly what's going to happen. Right. Whereas right. if it's a PvP contested area and only one group of people can kill that boss and get the loot for it, all of a sudden you don't know what's going to happen. You're going right. into a situation that's not predictable. Right. Maybe you are going to get that boss and it's going to feel even better when you do kill it. 
because the, there's that risk versus reward factor of PvP. I think PvP does add a lot of risk versus reward in MMOs. Take old school RuneScape, for example. I think one of the best money-making spots in the game, uncontested, if you're completely uncontested and not PvP'd, is a place called the Revenant Cave in the wilderness. You can make so much money at this place, but it's it's in an area where clans are constantly coming in to kill the PvE players. And if the PvE players are smart, they're going to bring certain teleports to get the fuck out of that cave as soon as there's anyone with um, PvP intentions coming into it. Right. And it's things like that that makes that area of the game so exciting. You can make so much money there as a PvE player from just killing the mobs, or you can make so much money as a PvP player killing the PvE players to take their loot. It's the, I think it's really good design to have both, as much as maybe a lot of PvE players would only just would just like to be left alone. Yeah, and, and the funny thing is, is that, I mean, I, I, I basically agree. And I think it's because even though ultimately, and obviously I've thought about this a lot, a PvE player might on the surface tell you that, well, I don't want to ever be PvP'd ever. But that's not really true. Like, there's actually many PvE players who play games that have PvP aspects in them or PvP zones. As long as they can just have the agency to choose to PvP or not PvP, most of them are actually okay with there being a chance for PvP. As long as they have, like, a choice. But what I find is that if you try and separate the two... So someone might ask the question... Um, in a zone, why would you make it to where PvE players can be killed? And I, I would bring up the same thing that you did, which is essentially that by allowing there to be a chance that you could be PK'd by another guild or another clan, you've actually bettered your PvE experience. It's actually more uh, visceral, more more fun when you actually do succeed at it. And it's gonna and it's gonna get that uh, blood pumping far more than a regular PvE engagement would. That's the funny thing That's is, it's like, I even though I would describe myself primarily as a PvP player, I would say ultimately, I'm more so interested in a world that has consequences. And so Dark Age of Camelot had the idea of having frontier zones for each faction, uh, two frontier zones. One was the starter zone, and the other was the actual frontier. The starter zone, you could not PK there unless you were on a PvP server. I felt like that was a pretty good like middle ground because it was like PvE players could still farm without any trouble in that zone. But if, like you said about the wilderness and RuneScape, if you wanted to go to a really good leveling spot, then you had to go to the RVR lake, which meant that you could be potentially PK'd there. But they gave you incentive to slowly venture out and venture out. I think when it's like the the cape, or not the cape, but when the when the curtains have just been pulled out you know, immediately and all of a sudden you're on the stage and it's time to play. I think that kind of gives people the wrong idea because it's like they never got the chance to either learn how to PvP or build up to some kind of PvP. Really, yeah. like for a new type of PvPer, and I think you would agree, the best kind of PvP is just Zerg PvP because you're literally just running around and you're not as important individually, but your overall impact is felt as a group. So I feel like it's better to kind of get that early experience in when you're with a large group because you don't have to worry about one versus one which can obviously be very nerve-wracking for people or also being potentially outnumbered or whatever else that's true and that's how i learned to pvp in guild wars too i, I felt quite daunted by the uh five versus five pvp when i started right. to get into that game 
didn't really know what I was doing. But I did the Zerg PvP and I thought there's a lot less pressure. People aren't really relying on me. Right. And it just it just felt awesome it, from a fantasy point of view to be a part of just a massive group going into battle. I think that's a hard thing to to communicate to a player who maybe isn't interested in PvP or never has been interested in it because it's like the current MMO experiences don't really have something that kind of matches up with that. I mean, Guild Wars 2 has it to some extent. Uh, Elder Scrolls Online has it to some extent. But Camelot, you know, was a game that basically was built around Realm versus Realm. So the entire idea was that a PvE player was very integral to PvP because a PvE player is somebody that could potentially be a crafter, could be somebody who's willing to uh, grind uh, more levels uh, in a safer way so they could train maybe your new population or whatever else like there's a lot there's a lot of ways i think to take the pvp and pve audiences and find ways for them to kind of work together darkness falls was a dungeon in dark age of camelot that actually and i don't know if you've ever experienced this in another game but it was a pvpve dungeon so pvp was a big focus but pve also was like an integral part of that uh, dungeon and so the other factions would always try and control it so they could get the maximum pve from it which is funny to think yeah. about right because pvp games it's just everyone thinks it's all about just killing the other player but i mean in a game like dark age of camelot and like you were saying with ashes of creation with those types of games they strive to get far more than just um you want to kill a player because he's red they, they want there to be for example a tactical reason maybe resources camelot unchained does the same thing resources are a big reason why you want to fight uh and and someone brought up earlier in chat and I, I don't know if you've heard of this concept um i've mentioned it in one of my videos before but it's kind of like the sheep versus the wolf uh conversation i think i, I think i saw a previous video of yours where you talk about it and it's a pretty good point right do you think that um there is enough content in a pvp focused game to keep say for example the sheep uh interested would you say that that's like possible? It seems like Ashes of Creation yeah. is attempting to do such a thing. I, I think it's possible. It it kind of it, it works in Black Desert to a certain extent, or it works. That game's like ninety nine percent PVE. Yeah, and I I think maybe someone would would have the comment, why even make PvP forced on somebody who doesn't want to PvP ever? And I think my argument for that would simply be that. Okay, within a fantasy world, which fantasy worlds don't have PvP? Do you know of any? Because I don't know of any. I, I, every fantasy world that I follow, people kill each other all the time <laughs> for, yeah. for whatever reason, right? And I think that's why people like myself are very excited for WoW Classic is that despite, you know, the recent expansion and, and all of the drama about, you know, Sylvanas and whatever else, the Horde and the Alliance have had really good reasons to hate each other. Right. And it's a pretty good conflict. They've been competing since, you know, Warcraft one, essentially. And, and, and I mean, I feel like that conflict is very real and very um, impactful, but it hasn't been lately because, you know, obviously the game has been watered down to some extent in that way. But I think that's what I'm really excited to see is uh, in WoW Classic, those old school like Orgamar raids or Stormwind raids and and raiding certain regions and stuff like that like when do you ever see that <laughs> you never yeah. really see that and and obviously you know i'll be the first to say i wish wow uh classic had more reasons to do that sort of thing really in that game it's kind of more just like rp driven or just like hey let's just go have some pvp fun yeah you could say maybe people want to become 
Um, they want to get a certain PvP rank or whatever else with honorable kills and all of that. But it's not as impactful as, like, you can actually turn this into a city, which is, like, I mean, that in itself is very... Uh, um, I think it's a really good end goal to to strive towards, is, like, actual... I problem. Go ahead. I think that's a problem with WoW's PvP over the years. There's no real consequences to... Right. You win or lose. Like mm-hmm. in in the lore of Battle for Azeroth, it's Alliance versus Horde, right? And, and don't they have the um they have the battlefronts where it doesn't really matter what happens, it's always gonna go over to the other faction, regardless of how well you do. Right. Pretty much. That's the problem I have with faction based PvP games. Usually there's not a whole lot of consequences. You could be farming the alliance all day in Stormwind on every server in WoW from the start of the expansion to the end, but you know that at the end of the expansion, they're just going to shake hands and come together again for the greater good. Right. And, and it's um, it, it's not about actually like getting even with someone or like getting vengeance on someone, right? A- as you could experience in like RuneScape or yeah. uh, EVE Online. But something WoW did do, where it actually did have an impact one time, which was one of my favorite times in WoW, was um, things like Wintergrasp and Tolbarad. I thought it was fantastic how both factions would come together to fight every few hours, and the faction that won Wintergrasp essentially had access to a raid which the other faction didn't have access to. And it was it was fairly easy gear, quite fun bosses, and I think for me it was... It was a really nice introduction to raiding because it was easy to get a group. The group requirements were really low for that raid. And they did the same for Tol Barad. Only one faction could have access to that raid for two hours. There's a bit of a time limit to get through it before the next Tol Barad or Wintergrass would start. And I'm really sad that Blizzard never did that again because I thought that was just a perfect way to bring... It was, it's also a way of getting people who are interested in PvE for the raid to start doing a bit of PvP because winning the PvP is in their best interest because you get access to the raid. I thought that was fantastic. So sad they stopped it. What's what's uh, amazing about Wintergrasp and Tolbarad is that that was basically uh, Blizzard's response to Warhammer Online, and it was very successful. Like I, I as a Warhammer Online fan, I think Tolbarad and Wintergrasp were very good at what they did. Uh, and, and it is certain. I mean, that's that alone right there to me is proof that WoW can do something if it does put its mind towards it. Um, but someone in, in in the comments actually asked, "Why do we need consequences?" And I think this is this is actually a good question. It's it's a fairly like simple one because we just all refer to consequences as being needed, but we never actually address why they're needed. And I think the easiest way that we could describe this is if I mean, if you take a game, I don't know. If you pop up any old school RPG and then you open up your cheat engine or type in your console command sheets and give yourself as much, like play Sims, give yourself as much money as possible. See how long you can play the game. I don't know about you, but I always get bored. Whenever I yeah. get myself all the money in the game, I just get bored immediately because who cares about anything? <laughs> there's no point to going to work because my guy's a cubajillionaire and there's no point to to going to school as a kid in that game because i already have all the money that i need so what's the point in doing anything when there's no consequence everything to me just seems kind of meaningless it's like what is the point of actually doing any of this if it doesn't have any downsides or there isn't any um 
blood, sweat, and tears that I have to put into something. Because I think we can both agree that, you know, you and I now work in this space in, in, a, in a full-time capacity like it's our job. But if I would have gotten all the success that I have right in this moment, after the first video I, ha- I would have made, it would have not been deserved. <laughs> yeah. And I wouldn't have earned it properly, right? Like, I wouldn't have learned to do what I need to do. Same thing could apply to you. Like, if your first impressions ever video somehow gave you the success that you have right in this moment, I don't think you'd, you'd appreciate it as much. I really don't. No, not so. And so, yeah, I, I think it's always important to have a consequence as a major part of the game. Um, even if it, like, to some people, it might just sound like it's, like, needless, like they're just introducing needless consequence, but life has consequence. And so, like, we need to have consequence um, within a game as well. And, and actually, I agree with you about what you said uh, regarding factions. It's why I think clan systems, individual clan and guild systems are better than faction systems, is that ultimately, yeah. as a faction, you're incentivized to always zerg. There's no reason not to zerg. What reason do you have not to zerg somebody? Like in the majority of the PvP MMOs that are out right now, there's no reason not to. Like you're, you're incentivized to win keeps. Uh, Warhammer had this problem where we would essentially avoid fighting other groups because we just wanted to take the keeps. <laughs> just for the points, basically. Yeah. Um, Whereas with guilds and clans, you do it you do it more out of pride, if anything. Right. Whereas the pride isn't as strong. If you're in just a as a faction zerg, you're like a faceless person. Whereas right. if you're if you're with a, a guild or a clan and you've got that pride, like if, if you beat another clan, then you're gonna talk shit about them and it's gonna be brilliant. You're gonna have a fantastic time and you're always gonna remember that. If right. if you're the clan that goes around zerging everyone, then everyone's just gonna say, Oh, nice zerg idiot great skill and and you're gonna get you're gonna get kind of um shit talked in return and th- and things like when mmos have things like war school when guilds declare war on each other and there's um and you see a war score of who's been doing best in terms of the battle the war effort against the other guild things like that are really good it's, it's all about bragging rights in pvp right yeah, and sh- and sharing those bragging rights with other people, other members of your clan. So it's, uh, it's really it makes for really memorable experiences that you don't get in PvP in PVE. Yeah, what it makes me think about is kind of how it the, the way that MMOs I would say uh, right now work is it's primarily based on once you reach a certain rating of skill, you get a certain amount of gear. But that's just such a basic way to handle PvP. And, and in fact, in a weird way, it's almost even too complicated. And what I mean by that is that there's like a funny analogy. I, I'm somebody who's an MMA fan. And uh, there's a funny analogy. And it's that everybody in the world knows what a fight looks like, right? We're, we're all like we're humans. We know what a fight looks like. <laughs> even yeah. if we've never been in a fight ourselves, we know what a fight looks like. And we know it, you know, to either meet it with like fear or whatever else, or maybe we actually you know actively seek such a thing and we're crazy or something but like generally we we all know know what a fight is the same thing about pvp you know when someone's getting pk'd it's just like it's just like a natural kind of thing to feel and what i mean by that is that in order to make something like a battle go on and a battle to rage on it's really as simple as just being like you suck like that really is as simple as it can be sometimes now historically speaking i'm sure you can go back and find uh in, in our history, like the real world history, 
where someone said one bad thing to another country and that sparks some type of war. That's happened before. Sometimes just yeah. words are all you need. And that's kind of why I like EVE Online. They've got a faction system, but it's also they've also got a clan system. So you can go join a, a faction if you want to. Your clan can join a faction, and you can fight in these big faction battles, which is what most new players do in that game, because once again, it's such a good way to teach new players. And then you can go join a clan, which is considered... Well, actually, these days, I hear faction warfare is still quite popping, but um, clan warfare is still an option, and there's still opportunities to have like a differentiation amongst a certain faction which i feel like is like the problem in eso is kind of like if you are in a faction first off who cares what faction you're in in that game not even the own developers care about the factions <laughs> they got rid of them basically <laughs> with that uh, uh tamriel unlimited change where essentially you can play any race in any faction now uh and every level or everything is level uh what's the word i'm looking for Gailed. Yeah, level level scaled. There you go. Everything is like level scaled. So that that's just like a weird. I don't even want to talk about ESO because I end up hating it so much. Um, and I love Elder Scrolls first off, and I love yeah. Uh, just I love Morrowind. I love Oblivion, and of course, even though Skyrim isn't necessarily my favorite uh, Elder Scrolls game, I still enjoy the game. Elder Scrolls Online. I don't know if I could. I could really say that that's a good uh, Elder Scrolls game. Now, whether or not it's an on a good online game, I think that's a separate uh, conversation. I wish I could get into Elder Scrolls Online. I really do. I've tried so many times. I just I just can't get over the combat. It just has no impact to me. I can hardly tell if I'm actually hitting someone. There's so so little audio visual feedback. Right. And also just the, the weight of attacks feels so plastic in that game. Yeah. Like, when you're shooting a bow... It just, it's like, yeah, you aim kind of, but it's so like arbitrary and ends up just feeling like, even even playing as a spellcaster, which by the way, most people say is the best way to play that game, even it's not very enjoyable. Because half of your abilities don't, like you said, don't seem to have any actual impact. Like I can't actually see if I'm affecting a monster that I'm fighting, which is funny because I feel like even Rift had that covered <laughs> and Rift came out, you know, yeah. ages ago now. But I want to talk about just combat in general in MMOs and, and see where you stand on that whole thing. Do you think that uh, tab target combat is better than action combat? Do you favor action combat over tab target? Or I guess just what's your general thoughts on the combat systems uh, in MMOs right now? Um, for, for PvE MMOs, it does seem like tab targeting is, is probably the best for pure PvE raiding and stuff. Because we haven't really seen... Well, I guess Wildstar did a decent job at PvE with action combat. But other than that, there hasn't really been a, a game that's done that too well. For PvP, I definitely enjoy action combat a lot more. It feels like there's a lot more you can do. You can like avoid so many attacks, and people aren't just going to lock onto you and kill you just from pointing at you, essentially. They have to catch you and time things properly. Which definitely um, has a different feeling to it. So for PvP action combat, for PvE tab targeting, a game that does a decent job of both, Guild Wars 2, which has a hybrid system. I'd say out of all the hybrid systems, Guild Wars 2 probably is the only one that's done a relatively decent job with it. And, and Guild Wars 2's hybrid system is probably a little bit more action combat than other hybrid systems because 
you don't actually have to tab target things. You can just swing your blade around or do your abilities right. without targeting anything, and the damage is still going to hit, which is pretty good. In terms of pure action combat, I think Black Desert's the best I've experienced so far by quite a lot. So one of my issues with a lot of action combat systems, despite me actually you know, preferring them, uh, my favorite combat in an MMO ever was uh, Darkfall Online, and that's because it's physics-based uh, PvP. <laughs> so, I mean, I don't think you can get better than physics-based uh, PvP, but one of my That's biggest... what Ashes is going for, I think, so you might like that. Right, and I and I and seeing that combat, I actually was quite surprised it was so action-oriented. Uh, just be, based on what I've heard about it and the early footage I saw of the game, I was surprised. So I guess we'll have to see how that uh, pans out. But generally, I feel like um, the, my problem with these action combat systems or ones that masquerade as action combat systems is that I don't really know if like they are like a true action combat system. A majority of them, you know, you even use the word hybrid. Like most of them probably aren't. And I think that that's okay. They don't necessarily need to be, but I certainly think it's, um, it's problematic if, uh, if we have MMOs that are coming out in 2018 or 2019 that are still using basic foundational, like tab target game design, you know, you know, like the type of, the WoW experience, and actually, that's even a bad example because I feel like WoW has pretty good combat, especially for tab target. It has yeah, pretty good combat. Yeah, I, I agree. So I would even just say like the basic WoW clone, which there's tons of those and they all have, you know, the same copy paste uh, wannabe uh, WoW combat systems. If those are still coming out in 2018, 2019, I feel like, man, we're in trouble. <laughs> we're, we're a lot slower of a genre than I, I think I've originally realized. Yeah. What do you think about um, Camelot Unchained? Because I, I know you was quite into um, Dark Age of Camelot. This is essentially the spiritual successor to that. What are your thoughts on Camelot Unchained? Because I did try the beta, or whatever it is, or the alpha, and it it doesn't seem as though they've got a full combat system in that game at all yet. It just seems very basic tab targeting. Yeah, and as, as far as I know, I think they do. I don't know if they've, they have projectiles completely implemented, but they, what they want to do with the combat system is a hybrid combat system where all projectiles are actually aimed and can be affected by terrain, which means that there's a class that can summon like a wall, for example. If you were to fire a fireball at it, it would be blocked by that wall. So it's like an interesting middle ground that I honestly think should be the norm from now on. Um, okay. So you don't actually tap to target people in the full system, you'll actually aim? Abilities, like uh, arranged abilities, like uh, projectiles, okay. I should say, speci specifically. So as for melee combat, it's probably what you would expect from like Guild Wars 2, which is like if you're close to your target, you're going to hit them. If not, you're, you're going to miss. Um, versus like actually having to be pixel perfect, like in Darkfall and other action games. Um but it's not a full-on action combat system. But to answer your question as to like what my opinion is of it, first off, I don't normally do uh, impressions of things. Uh, if anything, I feel like you've got that covered. <laughs> yeah. I feel like you mainly do the impressions and you do them well enough and simple enough that I don't think that there's anything there to really uh, implement on or change, uh, per se. And not to say to the aspiring first impression YouTubers out there, Feel free to make your impressions, but <laughs> I think impressions are uh, one of the hardest to get into. 
and I mean, you, I don't know if, what your opinion is on that, but I feel like it's hard to get into impressions as your form, uh, sorry, as your primary source of content, because it's kind of, it's so subjective. It's like, it's really hard to like hook somebody into something unless they buy into your personality to some extent. I mean, that's why, yeah. uh, for example, I watch your videos is more so because I've already bought into your personality. It's not because I care about um, you know, no offense, but me, me tend to, or <laughs> what other, whatever other yeah. game. Um, and again, for people who don't know, it's not like he has a choice. Like ultimately there's only certain games that come out within a year. If you do first impressions, you're going to handle a couple duds. I've seen people oh, give yeah. you flack over that. And I'm just like, what do you expect him to do? Just not make videos anymore. <laughs> Dude, it's been rough recently. That hasn't really been a whole lot for me to cover. <laughs> I've got a good list for this month, so we should be okay. Yeah, and that's that's another reason why I don't I don't uh, uh, envy the kind of work that you do is to constantly have to uh, wonder about all right, what the heck is there that's even playable this month <laughs> or this year or this quarter even. Um, but about imp- what I wanted to say about impressions is I don't typically do them. Um, I try and wait until I can get as educated into something as I possibly can before I make content on it. That should, like, I, I would say long form post humus content is the one that I typically make, but that's just more so because there hasn't, well, been that many good MMOs out, <laughs> which I think we can kind of both agree about. But I would yeah. say Camelot Unchained, the spiritual successor part's really interesting to me, but what's really got me interested is that it's basically a more evolved form of Dark Age of Camelot. And what I mean by that is that it's got a free building crafting or uh, a free building uh, housing system, and it's got a very robust and very impactful crafting system where you can actually, for example, come up with a, a blueprint on a certain type of a design, and it will actually be named after whoever the crafter is that made it. Uh, the reason why I'm really stressing about the crafting thing is that I feel like that's the big part that's typically missing in these PvP MMOs is there's plenty yeah. of room for sheep. Uh, to find use in a normal uh, war. Let's say like a, a real war war between, I don't know, Canada and America. There's plenty for a civilian to do, right? They could go join a factory. They could go, I don't know, produce helmets or something, right? There's something that they could do in order to help the quote-unquote PvP. But that doesn't exist oh, sure. as much in like a in an MMO, right? I mean, crafting these days is kind of craft the same belt you know a hundred times until you get the next point whereas you know crafting should be about supplying your troops (laughs) you know supplying them with weapons and and arms and whatever else and i feel like that's one thing that camelot is is doing well just even in its early phases uh right now that's going to make it quite unique again so is the ability to place structures anywhere and also get resources from those structures uh, to make pvp actually impactful but Kind of along the same as you, and obviously I'm under NDA, so I can't really talk that much about the actual game itself, uh, unfortunately, as we were talking about NDAs earlier. But as for the game itself, what you feel with a lot of these Kickstarter MMOs is just like they're showing you proof of concepts, but they don't actually have a game yet. If Does that make sense? Like they're yeah. showing you a bunch of like ideas and, and maybe even like animated them on screen with like some dude running around, but it's not really the game yet. So it's hard for me to just tell people definitively it's going to be good or it's going to be bad because, I mean, having been through this cycle so many times, I feel like I don't really have enough information yet to say if it would be. But if we're going to talk about just the idea, I think the idea is really, really interesting. 
And um, I certainly think that they have an opportunity to to, to change the market for the better uh, with Came Alone Chained. So as someone that really enjoyed Guild Wars 2's world versus world, do you think I, I would enjoy what Camelot Unchained potentially has to offer? I the think... idea of it. Oh, sorry. I, I thought you were going to say something else. Uh, I would say yes, absolutely. Um, and, and I think the major reasons for that uh, are going to be around the idea of permanence. And that's the concept that there's no wipes. There's no, uh, you don't compete against another set of worlds or whatever else every week or however Guild Wars does it these days where it matches you up. Like that doesn't happen. It's it's three factions and they're all fighting amongst each other. And you yeah. might ask, okay, so what's the point as for me as a player to want to join a particular faction? Well, maybe their lore, maybe their um, the, the starting zone, or they have very unique classes and abilities for their particular faction. So you choose the faction that you want, and now you want to get involved. What's the point to PvPing in the game? Well, the point is that you need resources, right? You need resources uh, to, to, to get more structures, to build more structures, to build more settlements, and, and increase your standing as a realm. So what Dark Age of Camelot did really well, um, that I think Guild Wars 2 kind of copies to some extent, but not as, as effective, and it's that realm points overall. You're given realm points every day for your involvement with the war, right? Or with the realm in particular. So let's say yeah. you joined a, a couple zergs, you ran around, did that, you did some small-scale PvP, maybe you even took a couple objectives or planted a flag or whatever else you did for that day. At the end of your day, you'll get a report card that'll basically tell you, here's, here's all the stuff that you did, here's how you helped your realm, and you as a player, first off, immediately are going to feel like you're useful because you actually got to know exactly to what level you were useful, right? Like you're given like an objective measure of how useful you were. Um, but also, you saw the fruits of your labor through the territory conquest and stuff like that. So I feel like those are probably the biggest hooks is the ability to control territory, the ability to get resources, and the ability to um, build particular settlements and and bridges and basically anything you want because it has like the equivalent of a Minecraft building system and a Guild Wars 2, uh, you know, world, world versus world kind of affair, if that makes sense. So I feel like it's got aspects of Dark Age of Camelot that maybe Guild Wars 2 didn't have, but hopefully, and again, I don't know for sure, but hopefully it's combat is better. <laughs> yeah, that's that's my main concern with um, Camelot Unchained. I just hope the combat's good because I, I don't really understand what they've been going for with it yeah i don't think it's working too much what i want to but talk I did, about I play, okay. sorry i was gonna say the other game that i wanted to talk about that i feel like really fits what you just finished with and, and it's that it's not working at least it doesn't seem to be working yet is uh crowfall <laughs> what's your opinions on crowfall i don't i don't really know what what's taken them so long like they seem to be moving an absolute snail's pace with development. When was Crowfall announced? It's been in development for bloody ages. And they seem to be no closer to any news of a, of a proper beta or anything for a while. I, ma I made a first impressions alpha video on it, I think, about two years ago now. Wow. I saw and, that. That's two years ago. <laughs> yeah, and I've been I've been wanting to go back into Crowfall to do an updated first impressions, like how's progress for ages, probably for the past year. And every time I jump into it, the progress just hasn't been enough that I want to revisit it yet. 
because there's hardly there's not much difference from the first video really other than like graphics i can't really interact with the world or anything it still right. seems very buggy the netcode seems seems terrible i played it at gamescom and the netcode just wasn't there it seemed people teleporting all over the place with only around 10 people on the map so i'm concerned about crowfall i think the idea mm. of it's really good but seems a long way off when I think they actually planned to do a soft launch earlier this year so something's off I'm like kind of like face palming slash like forehead palming right now because really Crowfall has been one of those games that I've tried not to talk about that much because I knew it was it was just so early in its development I didn't feel like it was fair for me to just like you know, pick apart its different problems. But the reason why I bring it up now is four days ago, they released this trailer I just linked you called A Rising Hunger. And after oh, watching so, this, yeah. tra- after watching this trailer, I'm just like, what is the point of this trailer? Like, what, like, you know, whenever you are a company or a developer and you're trying to market your game or sell your products, there's always like a reason behind every trailer, right? Like the battle for Azeroth, you know, big reveal is supposed to be like gut-wrenching and and controversial, right? That's the point of it. It's supposed to re-engage or, or reignite the conflict between the Horde and the Alliance. Watching this Crowfall yeah. trailer, it's just like cuts of people, by the way, and you can see that it's gameplay because it's even lagging during the the cinematic. Like there, there's a point of the cinematic where like the FPS seems to like drop and you're just like, what, what are, what are they doing over there? Like, I, I mean, seriously, like what, what's, what's interesting about Crowfall is it's like, I feel like it was one of the first big Kickstarter MMOs early on. Like it was like the first one that we were all like, oh my God, Crowfall is going to be so great. It's basically going to be like a survival game, PVP game, which is what many people have said could be potentially interesting. But like you said, two years ago, you did a first impressions video on it. And I'm sorry, I've been watching it since then. It doesn't really look like it's increased in any serious like way. Like, in fact, I'll pull up something on screen for people, uh, some more gameplay. My worry with Crowfall is that by the time it's released, we'll have something better than Crowfall. And <laughs> that, then, I mean, that's a good way to put it. Like maybe Camelot Unchained will be out by then and then maybe Crowfall's irrelevant. I don't know. The combat in Crowfall, and I've kind of told people on my stream about this before, the combat in Crowfall, it looks like it's almost like they just decided to throw a bunch of like effects in there because they looked cool, but there's no actual, like, it's nonsensical. The gameplay that I'm showing on screen, for example, and I've showed this to many people in slow motion. And and I know as an MMO player, a long-time MMO player, you've experienced this yourself where you play a certain game, and WoW's, you know, of course, the first example that comes to mind that's very effective at telling you when you're CC'd, what you're CC'd by, right, by, by looking at the effect, and then yeah. how, that is, how that CC is affecting you. When you have the blind, you have that big thing on your head. When you have, like, uh, the, the, when you're cycloned, you're literally flying up in the air with, like, a cyclone under you. It's pretty easy to see whenever you're affected by things. When I watch, like, Crowfall Combat, half the time I'm just like, what is even going on? Like, this character is all of a sudden you know, CC'd for like six seconds straight and then like their character model will teleport. Maybe that's netcode that you were talking about. Will sometimes teleport back to being stunned. In fact, I was just watching one right now where the character gets knocked down 
And instead of just doing like a standard knockdown animation, which MMOs have had for, you know, 20 years, yeah. it, it just does some weird, like it's trying to move the camera while you're still knocked down. So I don't know if that makes sense, but you're like, it's trying to move your camera as if you're still moving, but your character's knocked on the ground. It looks really weird and ends up just feeling like totally disjointed. I like the idea of Crowfall. I'm I'm worried that their engine isn't capable of doing what they want it to do. And I can't help but feel like, isn't that probably the biggest risk inherently when it comes to PvP MMOs? Because uh, I guess I could yeah. spoil for everyone um, who didn't actually pay attention to the clue that I left at the end of my Camelot video. But the next video that I'm working on is, is uh, as most people will describe, uh, pronounced Aeon, but actually pronounced Ion. That game, I don't know if you remember, but it had the Abyss, and you got you could get to the Abyss level 25. And the Abyss was really cool because it was essentially this PvP area that had PvE as well. And that was kind of where like the in-game PvE content was actually located. There was a raid there that you could access and whatever else. And so that was a, a big part of the game. But I don't know if you were aware of this, but Aeon or Ion used the Cry Engine, which Cry Engine is basically the same shit that uh, Star Citizen is trying to use now. Obviously, it's very excuse me very different they've edited it in a lot of ways yeah but ion had terrible issues of lag it was a beautiful game um especially for its uh, its time but that game could not even properly function whenever it got to the abyss it was just constantly laggy uh gameplay not only just laggy laggy ganking all the time because whenever you're lagging but you're also being ganked that's probably like the the worst possible thing that could happen <laughs> you're lagging out and you're being killed repeatedly yeah, that's not fun. I feel like those games, if your game is a PvP-centric game, and you and like in the case of Crowfall, again, just from our observations right now, and you can't even like function when there's a lot of people on screen, like your your game engine can't properly function. It I can't help but feel like that's like the closest way to get killed or or be killed when you launch is if you can't even with within your gameplay and within your engine can't even function as you hope to function. You know, like the biggest thing you would advertise for Crowfall is the constant state of warfare and the PvP and destructible environment. But when that can't even like work, it's like it's hard to sell anything. And I feel like that's maybe why they're not doing a good job of selling anything. Maybe you're right. Maybe their engine maybe literally can't help it yet. And so they're trying to get that part fixed before they do any of the advertising or whatever else. Yeah, that's what I was about to say. Maybe that's why we're not seeing anything because they're just doing so much engine work. It's to make the game function. But then, I think they wanted thousands of players or right. hundreds of players on this one on this one game of Crowfall, essentially, because the games start and finish, have an end right. state. The lobby struggle was to with, Yeah, struggles to work with like 20 people, so mm -hmm. it seems like the, it seems a bit of a stretch of the imagination to think they're gonna get it working with potentially thousands soon. I hope they do get it working though. That's what's got me uh, at least a little bit more enthusiastic about Camelot Unchained, though, is that they've already had beta tests um, where they've had a thousand different renders on screen. If I remember correctly, a couple hundred of them were players and a couple hundred were uh, bots. Like, I don't remember what the split was, 70-30 maybe or something like that. But point being, it was a thousand plus people on screen. And the guy who was showing this uh, stream off, I think it actually might have been Mark Jacobs on one of their streams. Uh, he had 30 FPS, and of course it was dropping every now and then, but that's impressive to me. If you can actually have a 1,000 people on screen with 30 FPS, even if it's lagging, that's pretty damn impressive. When they first launched the beta, I, I joined a test and there was something like 400 players 
in an area at once, all actual players. And he was running well above 60 FPS. I think he streamed it. It was uh, it was nice in terms of frame rate. Right, but the gameplay is still, yeah. The, the animations aren't even really in the game yet, so I think that's a yeah. large reason why the combat kind of looks... Animations are such a big part, and I think that's one thing Crowfall uh, suffers from, is it's got like... It's got like animation bloat, but there's like too much going on in the animation. It summons too much of a particle effect, which just like confuses the hell out of you. Um, and it doesn't make it easy to understand whenever a certain ability is going off versus another sort uh, certain ability. Other any yeah. other Kickstarter MMOs that you want to talk about? Um, like uh, maybe we can talk a little bit about Star Citizen. <laughs> I haven't already been following Star Citizen, honestly, because it seems like it's just so far away and they just keep adding stuff that I haven't I haven't got myself excited for it intentionally. Right. Because it's it's becoming a meme about how long it's in development for at this point. What do you think about Chronicles of Illyria though? Hmm. Chronicles of Illyria seems like in a lot of ways they remind me of um you know, not just because it says Chronicles in the name, but Chronicles of Spellborn, a game that I recently covered that was fairly, like, unknown. And and what I mean by that is that it's like a company who's coming out and essentially saying, here's the game, here's what's normal in the space and what's considered, like, almost truisms at this point. The game is built in this certain way and it has this certain realities. These types of games, like Spellborn, and in this case, Chronicles of Illyria, basically just throw away all those pieces, scramble up the entire board and say, no, this is how our game's going to be. I respect that, right? Because that's, yeah. that's very risky and it's not easy to do. But I can't help but feel like in some ways it's a little bit gimmicky in the case of Chronicles of Illyria. As somebody who loves, you know, PvP, the whole idea of the, the permanent debt system where you like keep some of your XP and it goes down to like your other, like, you know, basically like your child or your offspring to some extent... I think that that's going to alienate a lot of people. And for people who don't know how it works, essentially your subscription is your character's life. So as long as you can keep your character's life like going, and I don't mean like being killed. I mean, it's like you can be killed a couple of times, but eventually I think you lose your like soul, your character's soul, and you have to get like a new one. And I think, I think that's what PvP you actually you pay for. Out. Okay. So you get knocked up. You don't get actually get like executed. Yeah, I don't think so. Right, so like that—that's it's interesting, you know. Like I can't say it's bad or good, but I could see a lot of problems arising because of that. Um, there's a I'll, lot. Of, there's a lot of things I'm excited about with Chronicles of Valeria. I think it's—it seems to be going for the more RPG feel to it. It doesn't seem to be too much of a PvP or PVE focused MMO. Really, it's maybe more PVE centric, but it seems a lot about questing trying to set up your home it's got a climbing system which i think seems really cool seems like there's it wants to have a highly interactable world and to focus on a political system where you work your way up right it definitely and, seems like a role player's dream that game right and and funny enough I, you know i'm a role player myself i haven't role played in in any serious capacity in a while now but that's just because i haven't really had an mmo to play uh regularly but i very much enjoy uh, RP and again what's hilarious about RP within certain games is that or even just PVE when I played EverQuest uh, Project 1999 recently PVE in old school games is very difficult and the world itself is enough 
of a deterrent. You don't even need other players. That's how hardcore those games are. <laughs> You're just getting killed by like rats and shit. Um, yeah. Not to say that that's necessarily good, but one thing I do like about that, and I certainly see this in Chronicles of Valyria, is there's definitely room to just be like uh, the Galaxy fans would recognize, just being like a moisture farmer. Like just being like a normal dude who's just part of it all, you know? Like you don't always have to be somebody who's super unique and super special, like you were saying earlier about the wild stuff. You don't need to be the chosen one to have a good time. You never have had to be the, the chosen one to to enjoy yourself. You could just be if the game is fun and you feel like you're getting uh enjoyment out of it, people play train simulators and plane simulators and uh what's the other one there there's even like a farming simulator so, <laughs> yeah. so i mean like people find a lot of you know seemingly mundane things um exciting as long as there's a good game there i think people just can can enjoy it uh, and are willing to brave past a certain amount of difficulties but uh it's certainly hard to go back and play the old school games just because of, like their engines and the UI is so outdated, so that's why I'm really excited for games like Chronicles of Illyria, which I feel like can capture, in some part, some of the old school feel while also pushing, uh, sorry, pushing the market forward overall, especially with its like combat system, which I did think, I mean, it's fairly basic. Um, the last gameplay I saw, where they were just basically doing speed runs and running around and and doing acrobatics or whatever else, it looked it looked pretty cool. I mean, of course, it's still really early on, but that one, I think, has the most chance to outright fail because of its like otherwise uh, more risky design aspects. But I, I still think it's really interesting that in 2018, 2019, whenever this game ends up coming out, that we can have an MMO that actually has some kind of like player death mechanic. I feel like that's really cool, but also, again, really, really risky. I think Chronicles of Valeria could be the um, a really good... Um, medieval fantasy life simulator, which I would find quite appealing, actually. I think that that could also be... If anything, it reminds me of almost like Gloria Victus uh, to some extent. Or what's that other one called? Life is Futile. I think they yeah. both tried to go for that same kind of like almost medieval Arma-like game, like a simulator of sorts. Sorry, someone just posted. Oh, someone asked about uh, Pantheon, if you want to talk a little bit about Pantheon. What's your thoughts about Pantheon, uh, Rise of the Fallen? Um, I'm looking forward to it for the same reason I'm looking forward to World of Warcraft Classic. But I'm not getting myself too hyped for Pantheon yet because I know it's still probably at least two years plus out. Fair enough. I think that Pantheon is interesting because it's like... Can that group style of combat or gameplay loop, can that still work in 2018, 2019, 2020, whenever it ends up coming out? Can it still work? Like, Can that old school adventure party get your teammates, play specific classes so you can complement each other? And that's, can that kind of gameplay still work? Like, I'm convinced it can. Obviously, Tabletop is still widely successful, even in 2018. But I can't help but feel like Maybe he's not going to do... Maybe Brad McQuaid and other guys are going to be a little bit out of touch with the market. That's almost what I feel like with Pantheon in some ways. feels like maybe it's... um, Maybe they're a little bit tone deaf about how things are currently. Because if there's as much downtime in that game as I've seen in some of the streams, 
I think I don't think it's it's going to get a significant audience because people complain a lot about downtime on mobs and and that type of stuff. How long it takes to region and whatever else. I think I think they need to find the right balance of that because at the same time, downtime can be a, a chance for a group to interact, but you don't want it right. to be too long so it becomes awkward. I think um, I definitely think the whole group based slower pace. PVE style is definitely still very appealing. And and not to mention, I think we can both uh, agree on this, that MMOs these days seem to have transitioned towards more of like niche audiences, almost like they've like gone back in time in a weird way. Uh, and, and what I mean is like, you know, the market uh, in large, like sure, like the top players are all the biggest IPs essentially with the most like... um wide-reaching content they all have pvp they all have pve they all have like certain aspects that you know they're very generalistic but i feel like this yeah. new age of mmos is very specialized which is i mean for me it's quite interesting because that means that there's a specific game out there for you as a person you know like you could potentially have a game out there that's exactly the kind of game that you want that you would play regardless if, if it you know has 100k players 10k players mmos don't need uh, wow level numbers to succeed obviously and they certainly don't even need a million players so I, th I think that's another really interesting development which i know doesn't make people who are currently in uh alive and watching this much happier because they still have to wait but i think you know people like us who kind of look at things more historically i think we can say that there's certainly like good things coming yeah definitely there's i think there's something for everyone coming on the horizon Maybe it's not that game that offers everything all in one game, but individual games, there's stuff for everyone. Chronicles of Valeria for role players. Um, Ashes of Creation for PvPers and PvEers, I guess. Camelot Unchained for pure realm versus realm fans. Pantheon for traditional um, EverQuest type classic PvE fans. Right. I think I think there's something for everyone. What do you think about Ascent Infinite Realm? Because this is a game that was announced this time last year. They put a trailer out, and a lot of people kind of had mixed receptions. I think they even had a beta or an alpha for it in Korea this time last year. And since then, they got really, like, meh kind of feedback to the beta, and we haven't heard anything about it since. Um, I think... My take on this game is it looks fucking horribly optimized and you can <laughs> tell that it's you can tell it's made in Unreal Engine 3. Oh, I actually man. met I met someone who's working at a different development company who used to work for Blue. And apparently this game has been in development for a long time, like four or five years. And yeah, it doesn't look great, does it? It looks outdated already. So I hope. I think the only chance Ascent Infinite Realm has of succeeding is if they're upgrading the engine from Unreal 3 to Unreal 4. Because with the frame rate that they're proudly showing off in that trailer, it looks bloody awful. It's going to be blessed online all over again, if not. Yeah, I, this, man, I don't, I, I'm so confused and like at a loss of words when it comes to these companies who announce their like, I guess western expansion or, or western uh adaptations of korean games because first off it's annoying because all of us are just like okay when <laughs> right like we, we all just want to know when that's what people say all the time with lost ark 
like anytime I ever talk about it, people are just like, okay, but when is it going to come out? Because we have no clue at this point. And look, I'm with you. I've already played Bless Online. Uh, you went through that experience as well. I don't know how much at this point that I'm willing to subject myself to such a similar experience again <laughs> in the past. I mean, that was like people who watched my stream remember it was just like 10 f 15 fps and i have a 1080 like you know i7 like i'm struggling to even play an unreal engine 3 game and and from watching this trailer again i'm totally with you in that it looks like the same exact engine that bless used and i i'm going to expect basically the same response which is that if you're going to show off a trailer to people or allow people to record gameplay I'm like face palming right now on screen, but it's like, how can you, how can your game not even function at like a playable uh, FPS? You know what I'm saying? It's just like, that's just disingenuous to me. And that's why the blessed thing set me off so much. It's like when you're trying to hide the fact uh, that your game first off is using Unreal Engine 3 and, and feels super outdated by promising action combat and whatever else they promised. If people don't know how engines work, you can't just uh, upgrade from unreal engine 3 immediately to unreal engine 4 if it was that simple they would just do it right like every I game it, i think it's it's easier to upgrade to a different version of the engine but it still takes like at least a year yes and and, and specifically and the only reason why i know this is because a company uh recently little orbit purchased apb and have been going through this process and what they're trying to do is take 3.0 to 3.5 apparently that in itself is already a pretty big gap and so this game would probably have to do the same, I would assume, unless they were going to do the big, you know, uh, 3.0 to 4.0 change. And in the span of like one year, it's possible. But really, I mean, when you watch a gameplay trailer like this or even gameplay footage, I just don't understand what these people expect when you watch these like ship battles. And I know you've seen the same ones I've seen where it's just like constant slideshow. And you're just thinking yeah. to yourself, like, how how am I as a player supposed to be excited for this game to come out? Especially when I already know it's Unreal Engine 3. Like, I just... At the end of the day, it reminds me of the same exact feeling I got with Bless, which is that this is a company, as you said, who's been working on this game for quite some time now. They're at a point to where they have to essentially cut their losses. Uh, and again, people who don't know business might not understand such a concept, but you have to cut your losses whenever you start to put money into a product eventually at some point. Like you, you can't just endlessly put money into a product if it's not going to pay out. And in this case, I think they're reaching the end of their uh, <laughs> journey with this game. They're going to have to release it even if it is unfinished. And that's basically what I expect. I expect that it'll launch just like Bless Online did. Maybe maybe less like terrible because they're probably, I don't know, hopefully more experienced at this point. Um, at least there's blue hole behind it, the people behind PUBG and Terra. So at least they've got money. <laughs> money, um, but certainly... Probably it, not talent. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say people would probably laugh at, at PUBG at this point because um, yeah. it still feels as clunky as it ever did. Um, when I first played it, which was, I don't know, years ago at this point. Th this Interesting actually... enough, Blade and Souls even upgrading engines. That's going to Unreal wow. 4 as well. Wow. Uh, do you know when that's happening? I know they've been working on it for a while. I think next year sometime. Okay, because that's something that's actually really interesting to me just in terms of like my interest in game development to see how an MMO could potentially change an engine, but also how it could change the game. I don't really think we've seen that like an engine really make 
a big change in that same kind of way. I don't I don't know if we've seen that yet, but I don't think I, we have. Yeah, I wanted to ask a little bit more of a general question, I guess, considering Asian MMOs. And what's your opinion of them in general? Because you cover them far more than I do. And and really, to be honest, your channel is the channel I go to to watch, you know, things about um Revelation Online or, you know, whatever new Asian MMO that us poor starved western fans think is going to save the genre uh what's your what's your opinion of the asian mmos as a whole i guess i think the asian mmos have a lot of talent behind them especially when it comes to combat asian devs can make such fantastic combat systems but the fundamental issue is in in asia when you make a game you always design it from the ground up based around the business model and out in the east free-to-play, pay-to-win is such a successful business model and much more commonly accepted out there than it is here mm-hmm. that from a fundamental level, these games design their progression systems to be pay-to-win, which means it's going to be grindy. You're going to be able to pay to skip the grind. There's going to be RNG enhancing. You're going to be able to pay to make that less painful. As talented as these developers are, I just don't think it's possible that the next big MMO is ever going to come from Asia because they're fucked on a fundamental level from mm. the business model they go for. Look at Black Desert, for example. That game's designed to be free to play from the ground up. And it's still a pretty good game when you consider that it's kind of cucked by its business. Can you, just, can you imagine how fantastic it would be if that game was designed? to be a subscription model and they wanted as many players per month zero pay to win from the ground up and they designed it in a same in the same way a western developer would i think it would i think it really would have been the best mmo ever made probably that's that's actually a really interesting point it's one that i recently was thinking about it's basically along the same line of are Asian adaptations in Western markets basically like destined to not ever see the same level or anything close to the levels of success that the Korean market can, uh, for example, or the Chinese market can? And I mean, to go along with what you just said, I, I, I would have to agree. I think when you look at it, as you said, just like intrinsically, the game is designed with that in mind. I mean, what people don't realize about the Korean market is first off, uh, in order to to trade things on the black market there it's it's actually it isn't a black market it's legal to tr- to make trades uh with your like in-game character um to to sell characters that was legal for like as far as i uh, remember was legal for the longest time in korea was outlawed in most t- terms of services in america and then i think they switched it i think um america still doesn't see it as illegal uh you know in the big scheme of things it's more of like a tos thing but I think actually the Korean market now has made all of that illegal. And that's because within its certain games, it monetizes them so much that it's actually a direct competition <laughs> with these black markets. So it's, yeah. it's it's just crazy to like understand that whole system. Uh, I remember now the Korean government actually made the black market illegal. Like like it's illegal to the, to the country <laughs> to, to buy an account or whatever else. Um, in fact, I don't know if people knew this, but in Korea... In most games, you have to actually have a, and you know this because you do your impressions, but you have to ha- actually have a Korean social security number in, in order to register an account in many of these MMOs. 
So it's like it's a total different culture there. It's like you're basically signing up your your name, your like actual name, your social security to your character. Um, and it's a big part of your, I guess I would say culture, the idea of uh, vertical progression, right? That I would say that's pretty common in Asian countries. Um, I guess the good thing about the whole social security thing is like if, if you're caught hacking in one of these games, people don't hack in korean games that are associated with their social security social security number because you're blacklisted from right. like all games i think yep it's true and it's a it's a really effective way koreans have found in order to police such things and they don't have to have anti anti-cheat in some of these games because because of that reason because no one cheats so i think someone told me before that one of the reasons why black desert ran so badly is because of the anti-cheat interfering with um, with certain things, and it performs so much better on the Korean version of the game because it's not really there. I don't know if that's true or not, but it, it makes sense. Hmm, it's it's possible. Um, but no, that, that's that's a really good point that you made. I, I think people need to start to realize that more, especially now, because I thought the whole asian savior thing was like done like years ago when arcade failed uh to 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 capitalize on its like overwhelming initial success and then of course black desert i feel like that happened a little bit later so it, it still extended to some extent but overall i mean people are still i still pe- see people say it all the time that oh asian mmos are coming it's gonna save this and save that and i'm just like i don't think it's really gonna save anything and and unfortunately at this point uh those games like Arc Age, Black Desert, especially now, <laughs> I, I don't know. I think they're basically done. Like they're never going to change to be how you want them to be anymore. They're probably well, we're to, as a result of this, we're starting to see a lot of um, people go to private server versions of these games. People are making less pay to win, better versions of these retail games like Arc Age and Black Desert, and some of these games are getting populations that are comparable to the retail version of the game like um i played a black desert private server recently called uh, game z bd which is game z black desert and on the eu server alone well just right now currently they've got four thousand players online just eu and i think na have like three thousand which is a good chunk of the retail population that the game has it's like it's like half of retail essentially Half of retail's Steam player, but yeah, that that is surprising, and and honestly, it's um, I think that's good. That's a good sign. It shows that people are getting a little bit fed up, which I felt like honestly in the case of Arcade and Black Desert Online to some extent. Um, for the longest time, they kind of got by because we had nothing else better. We we didn't we didn't have anything else that we could play. Uh, it was just like those are the best experiences we could get even if they're maybe flawed in execution or certainly have issues with um, monetization. I, I randomly just sent you something. Um, someone in chat actually linked a comparison video between the old engine and the new engine okay. in regards to Blade and Soul. It's, uh, it doesn't show a whole lot of gameplay, obviously. Um, I'm assuming maybe because they're not really ready for that yet. But based on what little I've seen, it's quite. it looks like quite the upgrade. So I, I really wonder... How uh, little Orbit can do with um, APB because that game was 
fairly interesting and has better systems than GTA Online does, but it's just, you know, it's got the Unreal Engine 3, so <laughs> performs like ass. Yeah. It'll be interesting. What are your thoughts on uh, private servers as a whole, though? Um, I think I think private servers, first off, um, I think they should be legal if a game isn't um, currently live, like if a, if a live server of the game doesn't currently exist. I think that that yeah. should be a no-brainer. The game should be allowed uh, to continue to do that, to continue to exist in some way, shape, or form. Because if you're not going to actually like do anything with your IP, I think it's kind of bullshit that you still get to have like this complete control over it. Um, especially when basically the only reason why you wouldn't give someone the access to do it is maybe fear that it would affect your brand or IP in some type of way. That generally is why right? these companies don't want people to make private servers about them. But in the case of like WoW for the longest time, I think people got really angry with the whole uh, WoW situation because they actually were shutting down these servers. And I think, funny enough, like, yeah, it sucks for the time and certainly sucks for people who love those servers, but I think it's good. I think it proves that, first off, private servers and, and the player base can actually make uh, these developers feel something. Like, we're significant of a voice now that we can actually have our own server and 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 say that we, we can run this game better than you guys can, essentially. I think yeah. that's all a good thing. But if a game is currently running, um, as a as a former business guy, I don't see a lot of legal <laughs> a lot of legal protections there. If you're trying to have a live private server that that only exists using donations, which is already kind of like a a weird kind of shady middle ground because you can't actually make money using the product because you don't own it, but donations are kind of like a way around that. I think yeah. in those ways, and I know it sucks for the people out there who are currently running uh, private servers for BDO or whatever. I, my point is, is that they could be great. It could be the greatest server ever. But as we've seen with previous uh, WoW servers, I believe Molten Core was like the biggest one, right? Wasn't it Molten Core or Molten? I think Nostalrius got really popular, which caused okay. them to shut it down. And then it wasn't much longer after that got shut down that they got a lot of um, feedback about vanilla. And right. I think that kind of caused them to start the whole classic. I, I, I would agree. And I, so I think in that case, it certainly did something really good. But what I'll say um, about that is that you just have to be careful. Um, because ultimately, if you're going to run a community project or something in your kind of off time, you're not a full-time developer, is this really worth your career? Is this really worth all your time and effort when the main company can literally just write a cease and desist letter that, by the way, you basically can't challenge because you don't have the money? Um, uh, yeah, I, I just that part is a little bit scary for me, so I, I personally would never run my own private server. Or would necessarily like endorse people starting their private servers but if you think that that's a better way to play the game and you're willing to take whatever the risks are like maybe going to some other website and using their client versus you know the official client i mean more power to you i don't think i'm the person to tell somebody not to do that and not to mention i don't think it's illegal to play those games it's only illegal to actually host the servers yourself yeah it's fine most of them won't even ban you your main account if you play on it I think private servers are a good way to show that the to show the developers that they're taking some serious missteps. If people would rather play private servers than your exactly. retail version of the game, then you're obviously doing something extremely wrong. People just need to be careful when they play private servers to like maybe only 
to not get their credit card details stolen. Just be very careful when it comes to things like donations, and if possible, don't spend a penny. Right, exactly. And and I'm and I think that's the best way to put it. Really, is that um, these private servers. Anytime you can make a company like Blizzard have to shut down a private server, I think that that means that you're doing something good. You're doing something right, right? There, there's a need that needed to be satisfied there. And in the case of WoW, it was ex- you know especially interesting because you'd have WoW developers come out and say shit like, um, you think you do, but you don't. <laughs> and you're just yeah. like, first off, never say that about your customers out loud. Even if you believe that they don't know what they actually want, which many uh, advertisers do believe that, you don't say that shit out loud. And and second off, um, I think it's hilarious that I essentially think that they rushed their announcement of WoW Classic because of all of that news and because of all of that pressure, which anytime us as a community can make a big giant like Blizzard feel pressure, that that feels pretty good. I don't know about you, but that feels pretty good to me. <laughs> yeah. Definitely. I feel like uh, those are the majority of the topics that I wanted to get to. Obviously, I could talk about MMOs forever, um, but we've been going now for two hours and 23 minutes, and I don't want to keep you here for too long. Um, Not to mention that I would very much like to have you on again at some other time, maybe to talk about um, some other bit of news whenever it comes up in in a few weeks, month, however long it takes. Yeah, sounds good. And then also, I think another cool thing is, um, actually, I have a, I have a more of like a personal question for you. Um, and we can end it with a couple of these uh, questions more so about your content and um, maybe the future of your content. Yeah. In, in, in regards to the way that you make, um, make videos, how do you determine whether or not you choose to do a video on a sponsored uh, game versus not doing one? I wonder how you go about that process. Like, if, like for, for example, if you're going to do a first impressions of a game um, versus another game, are you more so nowadays interested in first impressions of games that first and foremost are you know obviously fun? But do you also look at it from the perspective of if I can get advertised uh, or an advertised um, budget or or fee for for showcasing this game? Is that kind of like the best case scenario for you in a weird way? Or like, how do you look at all of that? I guess. Um, I usually like to have videos out about the game before I do a sponsored one so people know my actual opinion about it. The instance where that wouldn't be the case is if it was a game that I wouldn't cover anyway. I've only only really done uh, two two sponsorships before um, with like two different, well, with two games really. I've done multiple sponsorships with the same games. I did Lineage 2 Revolution, which I probably wouldn't have covered. And they offered me very like a ridiculous amount of money like so much that you couldn't turn down to cover that game and i wasn't going to cover it anyway and it was it's like a day's work so i saw that as a pretty good opportunity even though i don't really like phone games as long (laughs) as i didn't like lie and say that i liked the game so i did that and then i did blade and soul which i've spoken my i've spoke about my opinion of that game before and a lot of people from the audience actually like blade and soul so I thought that would be a pretty decent one, and people responded well to that. But if it's an upcoming MMO that's about to come out that people are going to be expecting first impressions on, then I'm, I want to do the non-sponsored video first. An example of this was there's a game coming out soon called Conqueror's Blade. Um, 
they I contact- played this actually. My dot com contacted me like a month ago. They really, really wanted me to do a sponsored video on this game, and I didn't want to do a sponsored. Vi- I said I, I replied to the guy via email. No thanks. I'm going to do a first impressions for on this game anyway, so it'll be for free. And then they kept saying, and then they asked me, um, well, you can still do the sponsored video. You can still do the first impressions. We'll sponsor it. And you can just be completely honest about the game. And I said to him, no, because if the video is sponsored, then regardless of how genuine I'm going to be, people aren't going to believe that that's how I really feel. So I turned down that offer, even though it was like, I could have easily gotten 10 to 15K for that video. Yeah, I think um, the reason why I bring this up is I've I've obviously I've started to go through this more so lately myself, where I'm sure you get all those messages where it's like some generic game you've never heard of, and they want you to do a video on it, and they're already promising you cash, and you don't even know what the game is. Like half the time I get emails like that, where it's like, hey, you should do it on this game, and it's like, there's no footage, they don't show me anything, they don't tell me anything about the game, and it's just, essentially, those are more like scenarios in which they're just looking at you because you, you know past certain metrics or whatever else but in your case you probably are what i would describe as like the more or the most popular mmo youtuber i don't know if you would disagree because i know this other uh wow youtubers who do strictly only wow uh content like telson and uh, or talon and um what's that other you know what i'm talking about they have like a million something subs or whatever else which i know for people watching wow being the most successful uh game uh in the mmo space means that if you cover that game you theoretically could have a bigger channel, but I mean, obviously both of us, although we've covered WoW before, don't solely cover it. So I feel like for somebody who handles and and plays a bunch of different MMOs, you're probably like the more popular one. So I asked the question because I just, I wonder, it's like, how much can you really even say in those sponsored videos? That's what's always got me afraid of them. It's like, am I basically only going to have to do like a first impression while not actually saying the game sucks or am i allowed in that case that my.com offered that to you i find that really hard to believe that they actually would be totally okay with you doing such but maybe they felt that saying that would make you not want to do it <laughs> i'm not 100 percent sure about that that's that's interesting but the way, I the way i've always approached it is with sponsored videos i just don't give an opinion i just show the game as long as you're not selling your opinion, that's fine. Like, if, if someone said to me, we'll pay you 20k to say this game's good, I wouldn't take it. Right. Yeah, because now if, they're if they actually s- trying to take control of your, like, creativity and your process yeah. and all that. But if they said, I'll pay you 20k to show this game, or show you playing the game, you don't have to, like, say you think it's good. What I do with all sponsored videos, I just don't give an opinion, then fine. It's, it's like, easy. As long as as long as people know that you can see that you're not like telling them to go play it. The best way to approach it is show the game and let people make up their own mind honestly. Yeah, so if, if you give an opinion in a sponsored video, no one's gonna believe even if you're genuine, no one's gonna believe your opinion anyway, so it's kinda pointless. Right. That's a good point. And I've seen the sellout thing, obviously you probably have gotten that a couple of times. like first off what people don't understand about this business and it's probably because like everything is shrouded in mystery about what we do ultimately like the analytics people don't see that they don't see the engagement they don't see 
you know, the emails behind closed doors, the conversations, you know, the the thoughts we have with ourselves or whatever else. They, they don't really know the entire process. But, like, <laughs> we are essentially, like, a, an enterprise, like a private business, but we are also kind of like contractors to some extent because we do yeah. content creation for other people. Uh, ultimately, that's, I mean, that's what we would do. Like, if someone came up to me and was like, hey, if you did this whole documentary on this subject and I'd pay you for it, would you do it? What am I going to say? No. Like, if it's interesting, I'm going to say, yeah. <laughs> like, that's exactly what, what a patron is for, right? It's someone to to essentially be like, hey, we want you to talk about the certain subjects. We'll give you the resources, uh, money, time, you know, in this case, money being the most important thing. And then yeah. you, you'll have the ability to work on that. Like, people don't get that sometimes as a content creator. it Well, first off, it's very easy to fall into the trap of only ever wanting to do uh, sponsored videos or only ever wanting to do money that, or content that's going to make you the most amount of money. I think at this current point in our lives, we wouldn't be involved in MMOs in the way that we are if we wanted to make <laughs> no. a lot of money. <laughs> if we wanted to make that a lot of money. <laughs> Which is kind of like, I mean, people are maybe thinking that, you know, we make a lot more money than we actually make first off. Um, but second off, I think... Uh, MMOs in general aren't exactly like the hot topic right now that you're not going to get involved in that exact space because you want to become a millionaire or whatever else. And, and at the end of the day, in the same way that a bartender might uh, give someone a favorable conversation because they want a good tip is the same way that a content creator might not be mean to a certain developer in order to get a certain amount of money. It doesn't necessarily mean that their integrity is now called completely into question. As, as you said, as long as you're not like just downright selling your your approval uh, for a paycheck, um, which you obviously said you haven't uh, done such a thing or wouldn't do such a thing, and, and I would be in agreement with you. I wouldn't either. But I think it's so easy for other people to see that and think sell out or you know somehow think less of somebody who's willing to do a sponsored video. And it's just like, how different is it than The Rock doing a um I don't know a head and shoulders uh fucking you know commercial or advertisement right do you think they really give a shit about head and shoulders shampoo he probably doesn't even use it but i'm sure if he's gonna do some like kind of advertisement on it he's gonna get up there and tell you it's like the greatest thing oh it feels great you know and that's just what they do but i guess maybe because we're in this like weird youtube space we're not really considered entertainers we're not really considered a journalist we're kind of this yeah. weird amalgamation of things i think Another thing, people don't really realize how much these companies can offer you for such little work compared to um, just making you normal YouTube content. Right. Like, um, I think I, I, I probably make around like two to three K a month on average just from YouTube revenue. And you get some sponsorships. NCSoft are really good where they're paying you like months, months of YouTube, of, of what you would get from YouTube revenue for one video that would probably take you four hours to make. Right. And any, anyone's going to take that, especially as, as long as you don't have to like lie and say you like the game, you're going to take that. Any, anyone yep. that's looking after themselves is going to take that. If not, it's kind of dumb. Well, it's kind of like the argument where you see people talk about, oh, so-and-so cheated on so-and-so. And then I look at the person in question who brought it up and I'm like, wait a minute. You are a person, and again, not to mean this in any slight in this example, 
But there are certain people out there in the world, uh, guys and girls, who are particularly attractive, right? These people don't have as much issue in finding a, a partner, you know, again, theoretically speaking. But you're not going to then tell that person that, oh, well, it, it, it comes to you easier, therefore you shouldn't use what you already have. When it's kind of like, if, if I have the option between making a video that I spend two weeks on that gets 50,000 views versus one that gets 50,000 views but takes one day <laughs> and I get paid yeah. more money than I would make doing the other video. Again, these are things that other people don't even you know, consider. And, and I mean, I'm a perfect example of this. I only recently started to realize that the way that YouTube is set up, and I think that you can agree with this um, because you do impressions videos, which I feel like are very good for the YouTube space. And what I mean by that is that it creates a lot of discussion, right? Either people say they hate you, they disagree with you, or they love the game. And and so you're always going to have discussion because people, you know, of course, want to disagree and agree and whatever else. But more so, and on YouTube, you're incentivized to create drama and you're incentivized to, to, to be basically be less of a journalist. And what I mean by that is that being wrong on YouTube doesn't mean that you make less money. <laughs> that's, that's a very scary uh, precedent. <laughs> you could be completely wrong about something and make good money. And that, I think, alone... Is kind of scary and when you look at you know youtube channels such as ours uh it's it's um it's very easy to to want to change your content to be more clickbait or more um i guess uh incendiary almost like want to piss people off because that works on youtube so i think it works i think it works in the short term that's i a think long term people will identify that that's what your channel is about and then not come back to it if you, if you like if you try to do that that's a good point I, and i and i actually completely agree that ultimately you can make content for a short term um which means that as soon as people get you know bored of the uh i don't know it, as soon as the new car smell wears off you're kind of going to be like eh, who cares um, yeah but a long term kind of content which is why i think so many first impression youtubers fail especially these mmo a first impression youtubers is that many of them either a don't even seem like they want to play the game which i know that's hard for you to do as a first impressions guy like you have to be as excited as you want to be about a game that you potentially could care you know not at all about i think that many of the other ones like mmo bomb and mmo uh what, what, isn't there a bunch of different mmo companies they're called like mmo something mmo this mmo that they do like these review slash impression videos but they have like no soul to them there's no soul to the actual channel. It's just like yeah, and some some of these channels literally call every single game an MMORPG when it's not. Right, that's another thing too. <laughs> Everything's an MMORPG, dude. Fucking Overwatch, MMO, let's go. Yep. So so I mean, Destiny at this point is starting to be called MMOs or whatever else. Someone said the real question is where is our Diablo announcement? Uh, unfortunately, I don't think there's going to be a Diablo MMO announcement after that whole fiasco. But that would be that would be really Diablo. cool. Diablo Immortal is an MMO. Are you not excited? <laughs> Do you have a vote? Okay, maybe maybe that maybe that counts. <laughs> maybe that counts. I guess. Uh, man, that's that's scary to think about. But. Um, Anyway, I'm 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 nearing the end of uh, the podcast and where I would like to start winding things down. I want to thank everybody for stopping by. First off, I didn't really even notice how many viewers, but I guess when you updated this to your channel, um, they all decided to to come watch us. So thank you, 
lazy peon viewers for stopping by <laughs> and boosting our numbers a little bit. I don't think we're used to having this many. Uh, yes, we, thanks for coming stream. over, guys. And definitely go to YouTube and subscribe to Nerd Slayer's channel. I, he's got some really fantastic content, especially the Death of the Game series. Brought me many hours of entertainment. And there's a new one just gone up today. Um, <laughs> Death of the Game. Um, Dark Age of one? Camelot. You got Dark it. Dark Age of Camelot. <laughs> I was I was letting you shill for me. <laughs> it, real YouTubers shill for each other. Of course, if you guys <laughs> who follow my content don't already know who Lazy Peon is, which we talk about you um, on occasions when we talk about um, the new games that are coming out and and whatever else. So I feel like most of them already know you. But if you don't, um, go check out Lazy Peon. You can even watch his old impressions on games, and I still think that they're enjoyable to watch. Um, like I think the one that I saw most recently was probably um what's that one that you did is it life is futile is the one that you did the uh impressions on or was it gloria victus i always confuse those two games but I i've done both so you've actually done both of them hmm. yeah i didn't like life is futile too much i think that's the one that i remember you talking about that it was really hard to even find where to go next uh, yeah okay i think that was the one that i remember but that's the last one that i saw so that's one thing i kind of like about these impression videos to some extent i feel like you you do them in a way where um people can go through watch a video if they really want to be that person and don't be this person because you're going to hurt his retention rate but they just skip to the end and see whatever you put in the pros and cons and be like oh good or bad okay <laughs> i wonder how many people do that usually i try and approach the first impressions from the point of view of like uh, the average player right which is why i think that your content is so good at that it's like i i think it's foolish first off for people to think that uh certain content creators should do all types of content but whenever people ask me why i don't do reviews or well first off we don't do reviews i think i can speak for both of us we don't do them in an mmo because it's so hard to make an mmo review like realistically to make that content consistently you can't make consistent reviews on MMOs, in my opinion. Like, who does that? And it's sustainable. I don't know of anybody that does that in any sustainable way. You could nice. spend, I don't know, 200 hours into a game, 100 hours into an MMO, and maybe you get a maybe you get 100k views on it. Is that really worth it? Like, I don't think it's you worth it. You can do it for your main MMO as a passion project. That's true. If, if you, you don't care about the money... Um, and you're just worried about the, the creating the content and, and being on this journey. Yeah, you could be that super hardcore MMO reviewer guy who goes like 100 hours into every game, but that would never be like a sustainable model unless you manage to do it for years on end. And that means that you basically wouldn't be uh, making any money or any, any uh, realistic kind of money, I guess I would say. But anyway, I th thank you everybody for stopping by. I'm going to say goodbye. Sometimes I'm terrible at outros because I want to stay, by, I st stick by and talk with you guys, especially as all the messages fly in. But um, Lazy Peon is in the Netherlands right now. So I think he, he probably, it's probably late over there already and is getting Yeah, I'm kind later. of sleeping. Yeah. Uh, speaking of which, um, and again, this is a personal question. You don't have to answer this one. But um, do, do you smoke weed over there? Or how does that work? You can smoke weed legally. I, d I don't myself. But it's it's like kind of people are nonchalant about it, right? You you do it in coffee shops. I think it's probably more legal in America now. You just if you go into a coffee shop, you can order it. 
But honestly, mm. I saw a lot more weed in England than I have the Netherlands, even though it's legal here. Huh. That's that's interesting. I only asked that because uh, I've got a couple uh, friends that are from the Netherlands. In fact, my main moderator uh, card is from the Netherlands. And he, he was joking because when I mentioned um, Netherlands to him, he thought that that meant that you were from the Netherlands. And so he was so excited to uh, <laughs> oh. to, to see how, how from the Netherlands you were. And I was like, oh, no, I think he went there uh, yeah, for, his, for your girlfriend it. or something like that. Yeah. Okay. So you, you guys will have to chat about that some other time. Um, but that's all I have. Uh, we've said goodbye. We've listed our channels in our um, different shill services. So yeah, thanks everybody for stopping by. And I will see you guys later. This was episode nine of the Six Pixels Under podcast featuring the Lazy Peon. And I hope you guys all enjoyed it. It will also be uploaded to YouTube for people who missed um, it when it went live originally. So. Thanks for watching, and I will see you guys later. See ya.